I went back to rewatch the second half of OU BYU, not the whole thing, just the Sooners offense, because I wanted to get a second look at Jackson Arnold. I know Grant was more pleased with Arnold's play coming out of that BYU game than I was, so I wanted to see if I missed something. In full disclosure, I watched the second half of that game live at a bar, no sound on, distractions all the way around, and may have had a drink or two in my system. So given that, I figured there was a chance that I had missed some nuance when it came to Arnold's performance. A few moments stood out during the rewatch. Number one, Austin Stogner committed one of the dumbest football penalties I've ever seen. That came on third and 11, early third quarter, Arnold's first series of the day. He stepped up in the pocket, ejected, and cruised for 27 yards and the first down. But it didn't count because Stogner inexplicably pushed his defender in the back at the 24-yard line at the very moment that Jackson Arnold was easily converting the first down. If the penalty hadn't happened, maybe Arnold picks up 18 yards instead of 27. Either way, it would have been a first down, the drive would have continued, and maybe Arnold gets into a groove quicker, and perhaps that game is a little bit easier down the stretch. And yes, I did see that happen in real time at the bar, but I didn't see the actual penalty on Stogner until that rewatch. And it's just absolutely unacceptable by anybody on the roster to commit a penalty like that, let alone a guy who's in his fifth year of college football. So that was a nice play by Arnold, but it was wiped off the board. Another thing that stood out to me was Arnold's ability to move the pile and get extra yardage on Oklahoma's final drive. On second and five in plus territory, Arnold ran quarterback power, was hit about a yard upfield, but then cut inside, was hit again a yard short of the first down, then powered through two BYU tacklers to get that first down. That was demoralizing, I'm sure, to defenders. And I like seeing Arnold push for extra yardage. That being said, I still don't like seeing him taking a bunch of hits, just like earlier in the year when he would enter the game and run quarterback power all the time, and we'd always be asking, why is he running so much quarterback power and taking so many hits? Let the guy throw. But anyways, that was good. And the one final good thing that stood out and I think I actually might have missed this live, was the third down throw to Jaleel Fruk that effectively won the game. Arnold put that ball right on the money. It was the right read, and Farouk caught it and got the first down before being banged up on the play. Now, that was an incredibly easy read for Jackson Arnold. BYU went press man. There was no other players on that side of the field. The slant was right there for the taking as long as Farouk did his job. And as long as Jackson Arnold did his job, and at least he recognized that the quarterback BYU was giving it to him and Arnold took it game over but aside from the good I was still mostly underwhelmed and somewhat disappointed that Arnold didn't do more the missed third down screen pass to Tawi Walker early in the second half yes Arnold had a rushing defender in his face but that's a throw I'd expect him to make of course the missed deep ball to Nick Anderson that's a throw he's made this year but never in a moment when the game was on the line and I'm sure that was a situation where Arnold got excited, saw the guy wide open, and he just airmailed it. But man, that was a moment when he should have been settled into the game. That was the fourth quarter. And he should have made that a catchable ball for Nick Anderson. Now I know Arnold got a lot of praise for his third down completion to Jalil Farouk in the BYU red zone. And yes, that was obviously a good play. Anytime you convert a third and long through the air, that's great. But I couldn't help but notice Arnold stared down Farouk the entire way. And if the BYU safety was playing on a better surface, perhaps, or was just a better player, 
I think that pass could have been easily broken up or intercepted. So even though Arnold made the play, I think to some degree he got away with one. And if that same scenario happens against a better team, it may not go his way that time. Jackson Arnold's a really great prospect. I think he's going to be really good. So I'm grading him on a pretty tough scale right now. If Davis Bevel had ever played two quarters like that last year, we'd have thrown a parade down Lindsay Street. We'll see if Arnold starts Friday against TCU. I guess the odds are in favor of that happening. And if Arnold does start, I'm very intrigued to see how he plays after a full week of prep and a full week knowing he was going to be the guy. Of course, I'm intrigued for many reasons. He's good. He's the future. He's got more talent than Dylan Gabriel. But also, I'm intrigued because I think he'll play much better than he did in Provo. We'll see. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome to the show. It's one of the best weeks of the year, and now that personally I'm not working in television anymore, I can actually enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday to the full extent, and for that, I am very thankful. I'm also thankful for the fact that we've got some meaningful football to watch this Friday, and thankful that my brother Grant is here in Oklahoma to talk about it, like always. Grant, what's going on? Nothing much. Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This is kind of, it's been a while. It's, I, I'm, I was sitting here trying to remember the last time OU played on, on, on Black Friday, and I guess it was 2018 when they played in, in Morgantown against West Virginia. That sort of, that classic game, the Kyler Murray and Marquise Brown game, which was honestly one of the most stressful and not fun football games I've ever watched in my life. Was that really a, a Friday game? That was a Black Friday game. It was like a 6 o'clock kick on Black Friday. Oh, oh yeah, it was. How about that? I was thinking it was Saturday for some reason because... Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, they usually don't play college football games on Saturday. So, I mean, you'd be right to, you know... <laughs> you mean on Friday? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. No, of course not. I don't yeah, know. I don't Whatever. Know. I don't know. Yeah, so we got a football game this Friday. 11 a.m. kick. And, you know, there's a... The main storyline is quarterback. We'll get to it here. But this just came over me. I don't know how much I haven't listened to any OU podcast. You know, I feel like that's a, a big thing. We talk about the other th- stuff we've listened to or consumed. And I, you know, I, I usually do all of our stuff before I consume anybody else's content. And that's just personal preference. Uh, maybe everyone's talking about this. Maybe not. But final, final Big 12 game for Oklahoma. I mean, granted, unless they make the Big 12 championship game. But like regular season, Big 12 game, not just Big 12 game, but Big 12 home game. And they're playing a team that, you know, it's, that's been in the Big 12 now for what, a, I don't know, like a dec- how long have they been 13 years? De- 13? 13, 12 to 13 seasons. So it's not like they're playing, you know, they're, they're not playing a new team. They're playing kind of, I mean, not an original Big 12 team, but a team that we're kind of used to seeing. And I, I don't know if it matters that much. Like, I, I, I'm not sure many people are going to be nostalgic of the Big 12 once Oklahoma goes to the SEC. Give it five years, and if... If OU's a middling team in the SEC, then maybe. But your thoughts on this being the, the last Big 12 game for Oklahoma? I don't know if I've really thought of it that much um, in that context. I think yeah, you bring up an interesting thing there, and like, will people be nostalgic for the Big 12? I'm nostalgic for the, the pre-2012 Big 12. Um, I've, I've never really gotten used to the new format of the league. It was, I'm, so yeah, when I, I, I don't know if I'm going to miss this version of the Big 12, because it, it's, it's never felt as natural um, as, as it did when we were growing up. So 
I don't know. I mean, because I mean, you always had, you had West Virginia there, which was always sort of an odd thing. Um, I know TCU fits in the region, but they've always felt like an odd fit in the Big 12 as well. So, no, I you know, now that we've gotten to the end of it, I... I think I will miss just, be, or not even necessarily miss, but it was just, you know, Big 12, OU being in the Big 12 is all that I've known. But also at the same time, it's it's been long enough coming now where we know they've been going, I mean, it's been three years now where we've known that this is going to happen. And um, I think I think it's it's time, it's ready. It's, 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 it's felt real. It, it feels very imminent at this point in time. And... Um, I don't know. It's this this last season in the Big Twelve hasn't really felt like the swan song that maybe I anticipated. It just it's mostly felt just like kind of a normal year. It's felt yeah, it's felt normal. We'll see what happens this weekend. You know, if Oklahoma can somehow sneak into the Big Twelve title game and you know take on like Oklahoma State or something, I, you know, obviously there'll be a lot more meaning behind, and maybe we'll have different memories, especially if they can somehow sneak into that game and then win. You know, Bedlam rematch that would certainly change this entire season for, like, for the record books historically. I mean, the odds of that happening though are, are very low at this point, considering that uh, they need Oklahoma needs some help. I mean, number one, I mean it's it's not a gimme. They're going to beat TCU. Granted, they are double digit favorites right now, and they need some help from either Texas Tech or Oklahoma State. And uh, more sorry, than that, I'm sorry, Texas mostly... Tech or Houston. Or no, BYU, and both BYU and Houston. Sorry, Texas Tech. And BYU, because Tech's playing Texas, and BYU is playing Oklahoma State, and both of those teams are are two-plus touchdown underdogs. But also, if if Oklahoma State wins and Texas loses, just for the sake of argument, OU also needs Iowa State to beat Kansas State oh, in that okay. situation. So okay. the easiest, the cleanest way for this to happen is if Oklahoma State loses to BYU, which of all of the outcomes I think is the most likely of all of them. Uh, I, I'd say no. I mean, BYU's an awful team on the road, and they're going to have a huge letdown coming off of last week when they were, they sold out for OU at home. And Oklahoma State knows they're actually playing for something, and they're much better at home. I'd say it's more likely that Tech beats Texas, and then you hope that's you know things kind of play out from there. But I, I, I just I, I don't agree with that because Texas is a good football team, and Oklahoma State is just kind of okay. And also, Ollie Gordon is probably hurt, and we don't know his effectiveness level. Yeah, BYU's BYU's a bad, bad, bad football team. They sure are, but and, I, I, and I've said it over again. But teams like Oklahoma State can lose to bad football teams because they're not particularly talented. I mean, Oklahoma State should have probably lost last week, but then they snapped out of it and came back on the road and beat a Houston team. So they're going to be feeling pretty good about themselves, knowing that they got everything in front of them. Whatever we can talk about more the Big Twelve coming up if we want to. Uh, I did want to bring this up. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like this version of the Big Twelve has always been weird because there's been only 10 teams which is doesn't make any sense called the big 12 so at least now Oklahoma's going to a conference without a number assigned to it so you can have as many teams as you want it's not going to be weird call it the SEC and was there going to be uh, is it going to be 14 or 16 teams I can't even remember at this point 16 because there's 14 now that'll add two so it'll be 16 so although it's kind of like this sort of the controversy the last couple weeks and I and I use controversy loosely it's not really not I don't think it's that much of a controversy but with like all the tiebreaker rules and stuff like that um, and I, I don't know how much, I don't know how many times I've said this and everything. Um, and it's so funny whenever, when all of these conferences ditch divisions, everyone just praised them to the high heavens. Like, oh, this is so progressive. This is so smart. No, it's a clown show. It's stupid. Divisions are there for a reason. Yeah, Every, me, this is the, the tiebreaker stuff is going to piss off way more people. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, let me just quickly correct myself. I mentioned that the big 12 has been 10 teams. Obviously, it's been 10 teams for, what, since 20, 
12 or something, whatever, 14, I don't know. This year it's 14, so I guess it's been kind of – It's I, actually, I've kind of liked that. It's a lot, a lot of teams this year, even though uh, – And anyways, just wanted to make sure I corrected that because for one year it's 14. Uh, yeah, no, divisions, the, it makes everything a lot cleaner and easier. It's just uh, – I, I don't understand why you can't – switch up the divisions every two years. Yeah, how about There's, that? There is literally no reason why that that can't be the case. See, that would be my my argument against divisions is like I, I, one of my biggest complaints about college football in general, and I've said it on the show many a times, is that there's so many teams, and yet you know your favorite team, they play the same teams over and over and over again, and only maybe once or maybe twice a year will you see somebody kind of different. And then, of course, a bowl game, and I just – I, I want to see a bunch of different stuff. And so obviously going to the SEC and this year to some extent, because Oklahoma played a bunch of different teams, which is kind of fun, you know, and uh, going to the SEC. Now they're going to be playing a, a ton, like all the different teams because it's a different conference. And that'll be a good novelty for the first few years when they're kind of seeing teams for the first time in a while. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you though. You go to divisions, mix it up, and then you see different teams every bit and it keeps it fresh. I, I just, I'm so, I'm not going to miss seeing Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU all the time and in Kansas I'm, just, I'm not going to miss that part uh it's you know maybe you know give it 10 years and you know maybe I'll get tired of seeing South Carolina and Tennessee you know, I'm sure, sure that's how it is probably but maybe maybe it, but, but even it, Lee I, I and I bring up the you know the the original Big 12 you know from like 1996 to, to 2011 and uh the teams that I miss playing the most are Texas A&M and Nebraska and that's been the case for over a decade. Well, it's because you haven't they haven't played them in forever. So, like you know, when time goes by, you don't see a team. Like, oh hey, yeah. Uh, but if they were playing I, them over and over again, but then, I bring that up because I say I don't think I'm going to miss playing Texas Tech. Oh, or, or even I I'm definitely not going to miss playing Kansas State. No, definitely not going to miss playing. Um, I, I I will miss playing Oklahoma State. That's that is the one game where I I will miss that, but. Yeah, just sort of like in this new the, the the new conference and how everything was 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 repurposed. I just yeah, I I don't have much of an emotional connection to it. Definitely won't miss playing Kansas. I'll tell you that. Tired of playing, even though Kansas actually got their act together act together the last couple of seasons. Okay, let's turn our attentions to the the game at hand, and I'd say the biggest storyline coming to this game is you know will Dylan Gabriel play or will he be out, and. We got a brief Dylan Gabriel and also Jalil Farouk update together right off the bat in Britt Venable's press conference on Monday this week because of the short week. And Venable said, quote, I feel like both those guys will, if they continue to progress throughout the week, that they'll be available this weekend. That was it. That's all we got. And, you know, there's that qualifier in there you know, if they progress throughout the week. And so... The question is, you know, it's and everyone's kind of brought this up since the BYU game. And you look back to last year, Dylan Gabriel was concussed last season against TCU, then missed the Texas game, then came back against Kansas the week after that. So uh, this is obviously a very quick turnaround, a quicker turnaround than normal. So based off of last year's precedent, if this is indeed a concussion, which I know that there's been some reports out there that it was confirmed that it is, but I don't think Venables, I don't think the team has officially confirmed that's a concussion. I'm sure it is. Uh, based on what we saw, the thought is, well, if he couldn't come back within a week last year to play against Texas, then, and this is a, you know, a second one, you know, I think you know, odds are just safety and everything. He's probably not going to be able to come back this week. So the question is, Grant, you think this is gamesmanship by Brent Venables and 
making it to where Sonny Dykes is like, oh, you know, maybe Dylan Gabriel will play, maybe not. Or, or even if it is gamesmanship, do you think Sonny Dykes is like, no, we're going to see Jackson Arnold. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it probably is gamesmanship. I don't, unless, you know, I, I think I brought this up on our Sunday pod. And I guess unless he actually didn't have a concussion. Yes, sure. And there was, because like I said, it has happened before where somebody has been pulled because of like a really bad hit. But then they immediately passed concussion protocol, and it was all just precaution. I'm not like I don't think that's what happened here. Because he didn't even come back out on the on the field. Like I don't think he was even on the sideline for the entire second half. Which no, is- I don't. I don't think he came back out at all. So my my feeling is that this is probably gamesmanship. I it was. I mean, my feeling right after the game on Saturday was, oh, okay, interesting. We're about to see the first ever Jackson Arnold start with a full, you know, with the fir- a full week of first team reps. So um, yeah, I. I do not expect to see Dylan Gabriel, which which is too bad. I and like I said it on the last one, he deserves to finish out this season. He has been um, kind of orders of magnitude by far the best quarterback in the conference this season um, by a large margin. So uh, I, I you know kind of felt like he deserved to sort of put uh, put the cap on it there at the end. But uh, hopefully he'll still have that opportunity in a bowl game. Yeah, I'm with you, and that's why in the opening take I lean towards the odds are that Arnold will start just because, again, if, if likely this is a concussion based off of last year. This is number two, second concussion for him. It just doesn't make any sense that they'd rush him back, especially, I mean, even if, I don't know, I mean, if OU was undefeated and they're 11-0, I mean, I, but you can't, like, this day and age, people don't rush concussions. They just don't. It's kind of just kind of over with that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's probably going to be Jackson Arnold, and I'm looking at the numbers right now, by the way. I'm, yeah, I Dylan Gabriel, I mean, let's see, quarterback rating. I know it's college quarterback rating is weird, but uh, he's got the best rating in the Big 12. He's been the best. It's 10 points higher than Quinn Ewers. Who would you guess is the third third best quarterback based off of QB rating in the Big 12? Will Howard, probably. Or is it, uh, nope. is it Green? Garrett Green? Yeah. And his horrible passing? No. No, he's... I guess I don't know. Or is it Donovan Smith? Man, you're just... Your Kansas hate is just blinding you, man. Jason Bean. Jason Bean's a good player. Yeah, he's okay. He's a good he's 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 fine. He's granted he's, his completion percentage is pretty bad, but But <laughs> whatever, yeah, he's he's capable of making some really nice throws sometimes and he yeah, he he might be the fastest straight line runner in all of college football. Anyways, sidebar there. So the next question is is you know, I talked about Jackson Arnold. By the way, I know you heard my, you know, you've you're my you know, opening take. You had thoughts. Um, I'll ask you. I mean, I'm not sure. Did you, if you've seen any more, if you rewatched it all, OU versus BYU, if you have, what are you, do you have any other thoughts on Jackson Arnold after that game? Or are you basically the same place you were a few days ago when we last recorded? Yeah, I'm at the same spot. Uh, there was some stuff that he missed, but uh, the, the plays that he did make uh, impressed me. And it was, it was mostly his poise that impressed me. I don't know. And this is like stuff that I was really locked in on while I was watching the game in the second half. It just like there was a lot of close-ups of him like on his face while he was out there and he he looked like he had it together. He looked like the it, it looked like the moment was not too big for him. He looked like he knew what he was doing, which I think is a like that's a big deal. And this goes back to part of my opening take at the end when I said I'm grading him on a on a pretty steep curve because I wasn't surprised by that. To me, I'm I just and as I, I'll, I'll, I'll give credit or credit. I'll just I'll uh, cite the Sooner Scoop podcast, their post game with 
George and Eddie. And I think maybe this is the difference of me now not, you know, covering the team, not being on the ground for these games because watching it on television, uh, listening to those two guys who were there in the stadium, they were both kind of of the mind when it was Jackson Arnold coming out and no Dylan Gabriel. They, they, they were both saying that they felt like, oh, no, this could be bad. And I, I just – my initial thought when I saw Arnold was, oh, oh OU's probably better off. They're going to win this game by three scores. I, I just think – and so I just think he's – and it's a bad football team. Yeah, it's, you're on the road, but he's got a lot of talent. Uh, this is, again, like if you want to go up against a certain defense in your first real appearance like on the game on the line – that's one of the defenses you want to go up against. Bad defense. And I know Dylan was playing well in the first half. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he was playing. Like everyone acts like he was like winning the Heisman. I don't. He was good. I don't know if he was as good as everyone thinks he was. Like he was good. Like I didn't think he was like blowing everybody away. Uh, mainly because again he looked like he just was not as mobile. But then again nobody was because that turf was terrible. So I guess my thought is I, I expected all of that, and so that's kind of why I was a little bit underwhelmed by the way he played. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Like, if he starts, he plays. I'm intrigued because now with a week under his belt practicing, I just have such high hopes for him, even though he's a young guy. But he's been practicing. Uh, Venable said that Jeff Levy gives first and second team reps about even throughout the week. I don't know how accurate that is, but he said that at his press conference this week. So if that's been the case all year long. Arnold's been getting a lot of reps and coming back, you know, coming home in front of the home crowd and stuff against a, a TCU defense, which is not very good against the pass and just overall probably very similar to last year but probably worse it's going to have all the recipe or it's going to have all the ingredients more precisely of, of jack Arnold having a really good game against a tcu team so anyways i, I know i'm kind of rambling but i maybe my hopes for him like i guess maybe my standard for him is too high i just i wasn't surprised that he was kind of just hanging out and calm and the guy knows he's good and he's backed it up on the field so far this year when he's played so it wasn't surprising to me that it didn't seem like the moment was too big for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't as sanguine when he came in. And it's not it's not that I don't have like belief in Jackson Arnold. It was just that had everything to do with how the game was going. That was clearly a screwy game. Well also and so, like I think I was of the mind that the defense was going to figure out that bad BYU offense and they wouldn't be able to score many points in the second half, which obviously that which is was, yeah, was, and I was that I happened was, and didn't happen. Yeah, and I was I was on the opposite end. I what I saw from the defense was like, no, this is they're just bad today. They're not going to figure it out. Um, so, but you know, I mean, I think I, I think I operate much more on vibes and feel probably than you do. Um, Never operate on that, man. All up here, pointing <laughs> to my head, whatever I'm thinking. And so, and then as I guess as we just like fast forward to the TCU game, um, like I hate to disappoint people, but I, I don't know what to expect. It's, it's very, very easy for me to picture Jackson Arnold not playing well in this game. Um, and I think, and it's, it's not because I think he's bad, it's not, but it's just he's a true freshman. This has been a, said it now, I mean, this is, this is an OU team that has played poorly in four of their last five games. And a lot of that hasn't really had to do with the quarterback position. So, yeah, I have no idea what to expect. And the people who do, like, feel like they know what to expect in this game, I, I guess I, give me some more of what you got, I guess. Uh, but this, is, this game's a total mystery for me. I have no idea what's going to happen. That's fair. And I, I'm looking at the Big 12 schedule right now. That, and granted, Oklahoma's schedule, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, it, it, it's not been a hard schedule. I mean, that right now they've only played two ranked teams. I mean, they've only played two ranked teams. And Oklahoma State was one of them. They lost. So it's been a pretty manageable schedule. But now, in hindsight, obviously, like the way it's played out, three of the final four games of the year, uh, I guess three or 
three of the final five on the road and a span of three out of four games on the road kind of towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, one at Kansas and then going to you know, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma should have won both those games. They should have. But, you know, in hindsight, now looking at it, it's like, that's ah, kind of like the Big 12. That's, that's not the greatest setup for, you know, end of season. And so at least they get to play the final game in the Big 12 at home. The reason I bring it all up is that you mentioned that Oklahoma's not played well the last, what, three or four games. But the one time they Four of the last five. It, sure. And the one time they did play well was West Virginia at home. And the defense was terrific against UCF for the most part, save for a couple of plays. And that was a back whenever it was a weird Jeff Levy game where they really weren't sure what they were doing. Uh, and Oklahoma's been, for the most part, fantastic at home. And so that's kind of, you throw that in there, throwing the fact that TCU on the flip side has been bad on the road this year. Uh, they're playing good football right now, but they just kind of came home and got a win. And now they're back on the road. That's what they beat, uh, was it Baylor last week? Beat or the, uh, yeah, Baylor, probably the worst team in the Big 12. So, I mean, that was good for them. But now they're back on the road where they've, where they've struggled. Uh, and they played Texas close, but that was in Fort Worth a couple weeks ago. Uh, but they most two most recent road games for TCU was at Texas Tech. Only lost by a touchdown, but watched that game. And Texas Tech controlled it for the most part the entire way. Uh, and there was, a, there was a run in the second half where TCU scored two straight touchdowns to take a, a quick 21-20 lead. So they was like, oh, okay. But then the... Texas Tech came right back and then opened up the lead back to two touchdowns right after that. So there's that. And then the Kansas State game was an absolute disaster. I mean, they got their butts kicked by Kansas State and they got ran all over. So I think this TCU team plays poorly on the road. So I think that's why I say the ingredients for Oklahoma playing well are there despite Jackson Arnold starting. And again, I'm, I'm pretty high on Jackson Arnold. I know everyone is, and, but everyone's thinking more of next year. And I'm just, I'm a guy where I'm just like, you know what? If you're good, you're good. We've seen him enough this season. He looks really good when he's played. Uh, so I, I think he can play well against TCU. And then you throw in the fact that Oklahoma so far this season against teams they lost to last year in the Big 12 is 2-0. <laughs> Texas and West Virginia, now they're playing against TCU. And one of the first things that Vinny mentioned in the presser on Monday was talk, he kind of referenced how they got their butts kicked last year. And you know that's, that's part of it too. So uh, I like all of that. I think there's a lot of things going well for Oklahoma coming into this game. Uh, Things going against Oklahoma, sure, you can argue the quarterback situation. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Gabriel's been really good. He's been one of the best players in the country. So, yeah, I think that's mitigated for the most part. I think Jackson Arnold's pretty good, too. So, I, I think that's not as big of a deal. Where you kind of start to worry a little bit if you're Oklahoma, as you start – I mean, sure, let's talk about TCU. Defensively, Oklahoma won. They're coming off a game where they were horrible against the run. I know Venables said he watched the tape back, and he was a little more relieved because it was just missed assignments. It wasn't necessarily – what was the – it was linebackers kind of not knowing how, where to fill. It wasn't guys. And, and so, to me, that kind of comes off as like, okay, yes, the surface was bad. Take that into account. But comes kind of comes off as some excuses against a bad team. I don't, I don't know if I like that. And he also talked about this week about how, you know, they're not, they're not getting sacks. Uh, you know, we talked about the defensive line. And it's one of those things that I don't notice that much during the game. I don't think it's that big of a deal until look at the numbers and he gets the question in the press conference about how – Oklahoma's not getting sacks and, and you look at it, it's like oh they're not I mean they're they're near the bottom of the big 12 in sacks only 18 so far this year that's tied for second to last with Baylor BYU's the worst team they have like only 10 sacks this year which is horrible I that's I think that's worse in the country I think there was a I, I would be surprised I mean it's, it's less little, than one a game, or it's about well almost about just one a game yeah no there was a little there was a bug during the little uh, during the game where it said 10 sacks and I think there was a little a bullet underneath it that said last in the okay. nation in sacks. So yeah, no, they've been um 
after like a little bit of a flurry, I think sort of um, Iowa State, Texas, like the where they it seems like they were getting some pretty good organic pressure, pretty consistent. Like against Texas, they they got a lot of pressure on Quinn Ewers. They but did. Also, they really you, did. But if you go back and watch, that was the last time that teams just kind of tried to protect with five guys. They've they've been they've been facing mass pro, max protect pretty much the entire second half of the season. And that's what Venables which is. Was- but like the you know the rub of that is that if they're always in max protect, then there shouldn't be so many guys open behind like the. So it's I, I don't Grant, I don't know how much how much these teams are in max protect. I that Venables didn't bring that up at all in his his long spiel. I mean maybe they are maybe they. Are. I mean I'm sure it's not all ma- uh, max protect, but a lot of it is Venables talks about how they people getting the ball out really fast. These quarterback like Oklahoma State they're getting the ball out quick. Uh, and, and what you just said a moment ago is is my thing is. Well, if they're getting the ball out really fast or if they are in max protect and there's fewer people on the route, like you said, why are there so many guys open then? Sure, you got to and and this was this was a problem against Oklahoma State, like and I I, I mean I, I recall Oklahoma State every time they were in max protect pretty much every time they threw. It was which I mean it doesn't surprise it doesn't surprise me at all. That's You want to define a, what what's max protect? We like you got set, blocking with 7. Blocking with 7 okay. guys. So they got the offensive lineman. They got the tight end there to block. They got, the, they got the running back in there to, to pass pro. But the thing is, Oklahoma State didn't even need to do that, though, because Oklahoma State was running quick RPO game, and they're getting the ball out fast anyway. So. Yeah, I thought the biggest problem in the Oklahoma State game in that regard was just they didn't shrink the space on the outside. They, they gave way, way too much cushion on that. And it's just like... And, like, I, I get it. You can't go up and play press man every single play. But, oh, yeah, shit, literally Penn State and Michigan do that every single <laughs> yeah. freaking play. And I know our friend Brady Trantham from the Keyhole Pod says, that, you know, he was actually pretty content with the way Oklahoma played that because in his, you know, his, his theory was that they were letting Oklahoma State do that because Oklahoma did not want to get beat by Ollie Gordon. And, you know, they adjusted to it and they started playing better, which they did. I mean, there was, again, for the millionth time in the last month, Oklahoma got seven consecutive stops on defense in that game which was a perfect time for Oklahoma to uh, the offense to separate and win that football game. And they didn't. Uh, but yeah, it's just, why is there so many open guys? Why is it? So we, again, it's not like Retzlaff lit the world on fire. He's had less than 200 yards passing against Oklahoma, but situationally for the most part, uh, I shouldn't say for the most part, but situationally though, he made some plays and he got guys wide open. There was one, I was watching the rewatch today and it was fourth and two in the second half and they rolled Retzlaff out and it was, the play was designed just to the right side of the field. And Oklahoma, uh, Kendall Dolby had no idea what he, if he was in man or, or if it was zone. And he was just running with his head cut off. Everybody else looked like they were in man. And he was kind of like had his back to the play. And if it was man, his receiver stopped and then just turned back towards the middle of the field where nobody was. And Retzlaff was like, oh, yeah, hey, man. Pointed to him and threw him wide open for like 15 yards. Everybody else was playing man. And I, I see that. I think... How is it in game 11? Is there still, I know that they shift and there's motion and there's going to be mistakes every game, sure. But yeah, I mean, why well, I mean, is what there? Can you say? Their, their <laughs> pass defense hasn't, is not, is not good. It's not overall good. this year. It's not good. And it's, it's probably better than last year though. It is, oh, it, it is better. Than, no, they, it's certainly better than last year. Yeah. But the, yeah, there's far too many instances of guys running wide open in the secondary. And uh, it's, it's at the point now where it's, I think it's so apparent and it's such a weakness that it's very it's pro- it's got to be obvious on tape when everyone watches it and teams are able to practice it and execute it because it's just it's something that's probably that OU is not able to correct midseason right now. So, 
and and whatever that is, I'm not sure. I think a lot of it has to do with. I mean, there's probably lots of things. The linebackers still are not great in coverage. Um, I still, you know, Gentry Gentry essentially hasn't been healthy since the Texas game, um, and he is he's by far their best corner. Um, Woody has been fine this year, but Woody is 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 a limited player. Uh, he just he's he's not he's not a great cover guy, and um, and it's the same. Their safeties really haven't been great cover guys either. So it's they got to get better. They they gotta they gotta clean that stuff up for next year. And of course, I mean, playing pass defense is always a lot easier when you get organic pressure with your front four, which OU has not done this year, and that's that's something that needs to needs to be better. But man, I, I still think they're probably playing they're probably playing top twenty five defense in the country. I I still think it's a good unit. Um, I'm even after like the BYU game with the run defense was such an outlier. I'm not I'm not extremely worried about that because they've just been so rock solid defending the run this year. And uh, I mean that's mainly why they've been good this year because they've they've forced a lot of third and longs this year because uh, most teams have not been able to consistently run it on them. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm just not. Yeah. I'm I'm not worried about the rush defense. Granted, uh, TCU's got a good one back there running back. Was it Imani Bates? I think. Imani Bates, I believe. He's, I don't know uh, if it's Imani or Imani. I think it's Imani. That's Imani. I mean, that's what it looks like, and that's what the announcer said when I was watching the Texas okay, Tech that's game. Fair. So. Uh, he's good, so he's he'll present a challenge. But yeah, I mean, in ter- terms of pass defense, so for Oklahoma, yeah, they're middle of the pack right now in the Big Twelve, uh, eighth in the Big Twelve. So middle, I mean, two thirty-two a game. Last year they were dead last in the Big Twelve in pass defense. So yes, they've improved, uh, but still, that's the weakness. And I remember when we were talking Brent Venables when he got hired, and we had all the the off-season podcasts and kind of breaking down everything. The one thing that his Clemson defenses, no matter if it was an elite Clemson defense or it was kind of starting out, it wasn't that great. They were always susceptible to big, big play, especially big pass plays. And that just must be one of the things that you kind of live and die with with Brent Venables in his scheme. That certain play, at certain times you can give up big explosive pass plays. And Oklahoma has not been able to get to where they're consistently better against the pass to where like, okay, you're not going to get much at all against them all game. And then you might get maybe one or two big explosives. It's just their teams are getting, you know, when they need it, a decent amount of yards through the air in critical situations. And OU, I mean, OU had a propensity for giving that stuff up too. And Venables first tenure here as a defensive coordinator as well. They did. And, and I think like, I'm, I'm okay with that trade-off as long as like, you know, outside of just like those one or two explosive plays, you're just a, you're a vice grip. That's fine. Um, but it's like, yeah, you can, you can kind of live like the UCF stuff. like some of their big plays were frustrating, but that's well, sort of and the Iowa stuff. State. And Iowa State, Iowa State was, as well. But you can, you can live with that stuff if you're also, if you're also forcing six or seven, three and outs in the game as well. And Oklahoma, I think they're leading the nation in, in takeaways. Uh, they're, which that's terrific. That's awesome. I mean, it hasn't even been a, I mean, that was the big, the biggest thing with Alex Grinch was that Oklahoma could not get takeaways. And, and you don't even talk about it with Brent Venables. And even last year. I mean, last year they got a bunch of takeaways. They had a ton too, last year. And it feels like they don't feel really that fluky either. Like, no. I know the like two of the – or like one of the BYU ones was definitely fluky. That was just, you know, bad exchange or bad handling of the ball by Retzlaff. Um, 
I think there might have been two of those actually by then. But but obviously, I mean, the one with the Stutzman sack that was forced. That's that's a forced turnover. I mean, Stutzman sack and the Billy Bowman pick six. I mean, that was. Uh, oh the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Bowman. That's that's. And a, then that's the, a play. the one was a you know the mess up. So I think they had three. There was three takeaways. Yeah, there the was game. the yeah. Retzlaff had like a just basically dropped the ball at one point in time. Where it, like, it was on a trick play. They were trying to run a trick play. It goes back. It's just, it's BY every time BYU tried to do something tricky or different that they could catch OU off guard. It didn't work because it's just they're not a good football team. <laughs> they don't have any talent. Like, if they were a better football team, Oklahoma would have been a, in a lot of trouble in that game. And that was one of the big di- – by the way, they're second in the nation. Bowling Green has three more takeaways than OU. They're 27. OU's got 24. It's a lot. I mean, they got more than Penn State. And Penn State has played uh, two, three teams that could potentially threaten you offensively. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, sure, and then Maryland, even though you don't like Maryland's offense. Oh, West Virginia, fine. So four, just by default. And I think Oklahoma's played a lot more teams that can threaten you offensively than that. No, I mean, they've done a, they've done a good job taking the ball away this year. It's, uh, I mean, even the games they, they lost, they took the ball away. Yeah. And that's, like, I mean, that's the frustrating part about it. So I, I say that about the sacks thing. It's, it, I think before we got into the whole spiel was – because I was giving why there's ingredients for Oklahoma to play well, and I was going to say, here's why maybe it's not looking good for them. And it's, it's a defense. It's a defense. And we talked about the past defense a little bit there as well. Even though Oklahoma's not getting very many sacks in this game, it's going to be a game in which they have a lot of opportunity to get sacks because TCU throws the ball a lot. Granted, TCU's not giving up very many sacks this year, so they're good at protecting uh, their, their new quarterback, Hoover, who's been in there now. This will be, his, I think, maybe his fifth or sixth game he started. And... The dude is throwing the ball around, and he's going over 300 yards. He's going over 400 yards, and that's my biggest concern in this game is that I'm watching this guy throw the ball around, even against Kansas State where they got smoked, looked decent, looked pretty good, and then the next week against Texas Tech, yeah, he threw a few couple picks, should have had three picks. Um, I can't remember. One guy had, had two. Carl uh, Albergrad, Adrian Taylor, well, Adrian Taylor Emerson now, but that Carl Albert, he was just Adrian Taylor. He was running back. Now he plays safety for Texas Tech. Uh, he had two picks, should have had three. One of them was wiped out because of a dumb penalty, I think, on, on his teammate. Uh, and I can't remember if he threw any more in that game. But the guy threw it up to him, but he still went over 300 yards against Texas. He went, had a bunch of passing yards. And then against Baylor, he had a bunch of passing So, like, they're throwing the ball all the way around, and Oklahoma's biggest weakness is against the pass. So, after you know watching a little bit of TCU, I didn't know that they were having that much success through the air. That's by far the biggest concern in this game. Are they going to be able to survive defending the pass? Ginger Williams is practicing this week. Hopefully, that means he's healthy and he'll play. And if Ginger Williams can play, and it's him, you know, him and Woody really maybe at full health since Texas, UCF maybe, maybe UCF because I know in Bedlam Gentry. Definitely not healthy because he got he was getting picked on and then he got pulled in that game. Yeah, we haven't seen Gentry since like since he got pulled from Bedlam, which we presume he got pulled because he just probably wasn't healthy. Didn't I think I think he came back in later in that game, but then he got banged up again. He got hurt again and was down. So, anyways, we'll see. It'd be great if because you're right. I mean, when he's been healthy, I think he's been the most impactful corner. And Woody Woody's just solid. He's been solid his entire career. I think when Gentry has been healthy, him along with. With Stutz and and Billy, have, he's he's been the most impactful player on the defense when he's been healthy. Like I, he's been the third most impactful player on the defense when he's been healthy. So I mean, he's he's a guy who's really important, I think, to to their success. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm I, I kind of share your concern for this because just because I know 
that that you can throw the ball on OU. And it does. It seems like Hoover's kind of hot right now. And uh, you will see, though, he's got some. He has. He's had. You know, I think three or four consecutive games where he's gone over 300 yards passing. There was one of them though. It took him like took him like 55 throws to get to like a little over 300. Yeah, the yards per attempt's not super high. I mean, but um, yeah. so it makes me wonder. And uh, another stat that I heard, and I can't remember which podcast it was. It may have been through the keyhole earlier today. Um, TCU 127th in the country in red zone scoring. So if you take that, I mean that's that's a pretty big sample size. The last game of the season. Now it wouldn't surprise me if OU is just gonna park a couple safeties deep and keep everything in front of them and force TCU to actually score touchdowns in the red zone, which by the numbers over the course of the season, they've been very poor at doing. So there's that. And, you know, they still have, you know, weapons wise, uh, you know, they still, still got Savion Williams back there. I remember him from a couple of years or I guess last year, I suppose. Um, and one of the many guys who had good games against OU. They still got a good, they, they got, they got good skill guys on paper. I think I said before, like before we started recording, TCU's got a bunch of like B minus skill guys with a lot of experience. Yeah, they. I mean, they have guys that can that can hurt you. And and Amani Bailey's a, a he's he's a good player. Amani right? Bailey's not a, is not a B minus guy. I think all all their receivers are like B minus guys. He's been kind of bottled up the last couple of games, uh, but I mean, he was gashing TCU. I don't know why they didn't get the ball. In. Well, actually, I do know why against Kansas State because they were trailing by so much. They probably couldn't run it as much. But uh, he's been kind of kind of held back the last few games. So hopefully Oklahoma's rush defense, which has been for the most part really good, hopefully that the Sooners have similar success. I mean, even Baylor was able to hold him to 3.3 yards per carry last week, which had a couple touchdowns. So, uh, But he's just like he got good size. Seems pretty explosive. So he's a guy to watch out for. But mainly it's just the pass defense, man. They got to be able to stop, stop him through the air. I mean, they got – uh, that big old tight end they have. Uh, what's his he's name? The guy, Jared I'm the, I, Wiley. He is the guy who scares me the most on their team. That's but also it's like I even remember him last year for TCU and thing like outside of like uh, like outside of like Quentin Johnson. How is that guy not their number two target? I don't know. He he had his best game of the year last week. Actually, the last couple of weeks, they're finally targeting him more. I mean, seven for one seventy eight and two scores last week against Baylor. He's huge. He's gigantic. He's, he's man. very big. He's just a very large human. He's like he's like the size of Kyle Pitts. He's huge. 6'7", 260. He is, yes. That is he's Kyle Pitts. Yeah. I, so he's definitely somebody that they should scheme up more to throw him just jump balls. Maybe they – but, yeah, I didn't see – you know, against Texas Tech, I saw a little bit of him. Didn't get a chance to watch as much Baylor. But, uh, yeah, big game for him last week. So that's the main thing is Josh Hoover, what does he do? He's kind of feeling good right now. Oklahoma's been good at taking the ball away, though, so – We'll see. Uh, TCU's defense flipping the script again. I mean, talked about it briefly again. Like, it's it's almost the inverse of the UCF game. You know, we were you you kind of reminded me earlier today. We were talking. I kind of forgot about this, but the UCF game. I remember now that it came back to me is UCF's overall defense is not good when o- they were playing Oklahoma, but mainly UCF was awful against the run. One of the worst rushing defenses in the nation, but pretty good against the pass. And I remember asking you, is like, how much of it is? UCF's actually good against the pass or how much of it is that teams don't need to pass it because they're just gashing them on the ground and I think we found out in that game that yeah they got some good corners they're they're pretty good against the pass so in this game against TCU I think TCU's rush defense is not all that bad it's it's middle of the pack maybe like above average throughout the, the entire nation but the pass defense is near the hundreds overall this year 
And so it's a game in which now Oklahoma's run game is getting better. Now they're finally starting to feature Gavin Sachuk. Hopefully it's another week in the books. Hopefully Tawi Walker is another week healthy. It's a rush defense that's going to be you know a little bit better than they've maybe seen. I don't know. I mean, it's or, or, or not. I mean, I don't know. But uh, it's a pass defense that can be had, and we'll see if, if it's Jackson Arnold. Can Jackson Arnold take advantage of that? Uh, that's that's yet to be seen. But I, I, I tend to think he, he can. I mean, I, again, I – I like Jackson Arnold a lot, and I think Levy will be able to scheme some things up for him, hopefully, and uh, that, that'll be something to watch out for, for sure. I don't think TCU's defense is good enough to where OU can't just scheme easy stuff up for him. Um, and and like I, I say that, it's like, oh, God, it's easy, man. It's just easy. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just like stealing money. Uh, but it's kind of true. This is college football. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be some things that, Oh, you can do formation-wise that will tip off exactly what defense TCU is in, and that's kind of what the whole the point of all of that is. So hopefully, there's some really nice, easy reads there. Hopefully, and like I, this is not going to happen, but I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep putting it into the universe so we can speak it into existence. I hope we see a ton of ten personnel, a ton of ten personnel spread everyone out. It'll make the it'll make the look easier for Jackson Arnold. It'll make the box smaller. This is ridiculous. This is a ten personnel team, even though they've gone eleven straight games of trying to to shoehorn and ham fist that 11 personnel in there but what maybe i don't know maybe we'll see that in the first year of the sec yeah yeah maybe i know kansas state's offense is incredibly different than oklahoma's uh some of the things i know i mean kansas state smoked tcu what i noticed in that game watching is uh, running backs out of the backfield were open a lot tcu eventually kind of adjusted to it but early in the game the uh, giddings was getting i mean there's nobody on him and they were just running out of the backfield and they were just swinging it out to him there's nobody there so you know in 10 personnel for Oklahoma that would be a perfect situation where you could swing Gavin Sachuk out and if TCU's linebackers can't get over to him fast enough and he has a lot of room to run you run over you know you 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 run the other receivers across the field and get those you know man coverage guys away and boom you got a lot of room to run so we'll see if running back uh you know pass to the running back are open in this game and then quarterback run game granted that's the big part of Kansas State's game anyways ish was very effective against TCU uh, it was mostly, I mean, Avery Johnson and Will Howard both played in that game. Johnson had a bunch of runs, 16 for 73. But even when Will Howard did it, he only ran four times, but he had 62 yards, busted off a 30-yard run, just quarterback power. And we know that Jeff Levy wants to run quarterback power with Jackson Arnold. So, like, there's going to be some quarterback run. We know that, and we've seen it be effective against TCU in the past. But TCU's going to be ready for it. I mean, they're so the question is, can they block it up? And I will say one thing that did stand out to me, in the BYU game and maybe it's a again maybe it's a surface issue and when they go to Owen Field maybe the Owen Field service will be just pristine and everyone will be able to cut and move totally normal Jack Starnold's vision on quarterback power was not great in that game against BYU I feel like the he one did not his see, uh his well. his third down run where he picked up the first down it didn't need to be that difficult nope. if he would have cut inside he probably would have gotten like 10 yards or so I saw exactly the same thing. I'm happy that you brought that up. Yeah, so, so that's got to be better. I wanna, I'm going to push back on this. I don't want to see any quarterback run. If, if Jackson Arnold is the guy, I, don't, I want to see that as because if he gets hurt and Davis Bevel has to come in, the game is over. And, and we all know that. Well, so you can't do it. You can't do it. It's not going to be Davis Bevel, though, if he comes in. I think there's a different third-string quarterback. We found it out last week. Come on. What are you, why are you looking at me like that? that no, what's you have? This is a joke. What's your joke? Well, the third string quarterback now is Luke Elzinga, the punter. So, I, that's probably why ha. he was. That's <laughs> probably why he was running Jackson so much in that game because 
Lebby's like, yeah, it's fine. We got we got a third string guy that can throw the ball around a little bit. Yeah, I, but he's gonna do it. He did it with Matt Corral. <laughs> he's he's done it a lot with Gabriel. Uh, Jeff Lebby likes throwing the quarterback, <laughs> even though it's not I, the. I just I it's I, I get it, and you're right. And it's like it's not like I mean if if Jackson if they're running like. QB keepers and Jackson Arnold is ripping off 20, 30 yard runs, then I, I guess fine. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't feel like I'm crazy for being scared of that. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like see, it either. I don't, I don't want to see the other guy on the field again. I, I can't, like, I don't, and like, if that, if that were to happen, it would just be like, we'd have to find peace with it and just laugh about it. Oh, it'll but, be hilarious. But make no mistake, that, that, that football game would be over if that's the case. OU would not, they'd have to, they'd have to rely on the defense to score. It would be like we're – I think I made this, this reference but maybe preseason. I mean, it would, it's like we're, we're fans of Iowa all of a sudden. Now we got to hope that, the deep, that it's Iowa. <laughs> and, or they're going to go back to the Wildcat, and they just run Wildcat with uh, Gavin – even though they haven't done that really this year. Uh, they did it a lot last year, not really this year. Granted, the last time Gavin Sajic took a direct snap, he didn't catch the snap, and then he basically got benched for – yeah. Yeah, man. I like, I, this is – I mean, hot take, man, just – Getting ten personnel in this game, run your GT counter, and then and then run hard play auction after like off of that, and and then and get a dub and get out of there. All right, so OU's nine and two. Another thing that is a storyline in this game is that TCU is playing for bowl eligibility. I mean, I think either way, even if TC, if TCU was already bowl eligible, it'd be the same. I mean, it's the last Big Twelve game for Oklahoma. The team. This is their BYU. bowl game. This is their bowl game. Like this is same as last week. Same as last week with BYU. It's their bowl game. Yeah. And so, uh, but also, I mean, I think you're going to, you got to, there's also plenty of reason for OU to be fired up for this game too. It's senior day. They have some prominent seniors who are going to be playing their last. I mean, I know Drake Stoops has been, of course, the one that's been in the news the most this week, which, you know, rightfully so, he's had a really good season. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, there's, I, I hope that there's motivation there, especially on OU's end to, to win 10 games. Cause that's, I, I know it's like, it's arbitrary or whatever, but. You win 10 games in college football, that's a good season. And uh, except under very like weird circumstances. Like for instance, 2021, they go 10 and 2. <laughs> that was not a good season. But it's actually funny when we were talking earlier about like schedules and everything. I was about to I was going to cut in and I was going to say, I, you know, as the season has gone on, the conventional wisdom in the offseason this year of the schedule being easy turned out to be true. The OU has played a very weak schedule this year. Um, but I was thinking back because I, I was going to make the comment of, yeah, I mean, this is the easiest schedule OU has played in over a decade. But then I remembered, no, nah, it wasn't. It was definitely 2021. That The schedule that season was a freaking joke, an absolute joke. So if you remember, Texas went 5-7 and seven that year. Texas was not good. What season? 2021. The two oh, that, best, that was Sark's first year? Yeah, the two best teams they played were Baylor and Oklahoma State. And, th- and those were two good teams, but... They were also just kind of okay. They weren't that great. I mean, I think the last three, I mean, last season's schedule was not good either. They didn't play a tough schedule last year either. I mean, uh, I got- thought I thought last year was a little was a little tougher than than you think. Um, I thought the the back to back to back of K State, TCU, and Texas, that and like I not but that was definitely one of the most brutal three game stretches of any team in the country. That well, was well. TCU being as good as it was, yeah, that was surprising. You can you could absolutely make the argument that those three teams were obviously. I mean, TCU played the national title game, 
But I, I also think that Kansas State and Texas were top 10 teams last year, too. And they played all of them back to back to back. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It's a fair argument. I think I had one more thing I wanted to bring up, I thought, of this. Well, here we go. Well, currently, yeah. So, okay, yeah. We talked about TCU. They're five and six trying to, you know, win for. Oh, how about this? It's uh, I don't have many thoughts on this. You might have more than me, and, and I. I'm not sure if this means anything, but is this not a, a matchup, OU-TCU now? It's a, I don't think – because it wasn't this way last year because last year Garrett Riley was at TCU. So this is we – we got an Art Bryles disciple offensive coordinator off, don't we? We got Jeff Levy versus Kendall Bryles. So um, two people that know each other very well. <laughs> is that – that's got to have some sort of effect on the game. I don't know what it is, but – like they both know each other's tendencies, you would imagine, but how can they use it to help each other's defense? Uh. I mean, I guess just expect a ton of plays, ton of snaps. I guess I and I, I like I know of like the Bryles tree. Like Kendall Bryles is kind of considered to be the worst of like that tree. <laughs> like he's he's had a lot of jobs, and that's that's typically not a great sign. Yeah. So there's that. And finally, before we move on to talk about other things, well, I guess we can talk about the Big Twelve if we want. Uh, at least tiebreaker and all that fun stuff. There's some interesting games to talk about, of course. Uh, TCU, OU, OU right now, 10-point favorite. Open at 13, so money's coming on TCU. We'll see if it gets on, if, you know, below 10, I don't know. But, I mean, three-point move in a few days is, is not, uh, you know, not something to, to sneeze at. Certainly, I would want the 13, not the 10. Lastly, I'll put this out there. Another thing that might make people feel good about OU in this one. Everyone should remember you brought the 2021 season. 2021, Grant, yeah, it was a weird, terrible year in hindsight. But the one fun part, even though he transferred, was Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is great. He was great, fun to watch that year. Uh, Caleb Williams finally got his first start, and who was it against? It was home against TCU. And that game was terrific for Oklahoma. They won by three touchdowns. And the defense Caleb was terrible. Well, defense was but, bad. But Caleb Williams was mesmerizing in yeah. that game i was there it was fun he was almost he was basically flawless he was 18 to 23 295 four touchdowns and added nine for 66 and then that one really pretty zone read touchdown where he shook a guy and just from the beginning they oh you got the ball to start the game and went down and they scored right away i think jeremiah hall caught the touchdown i want to say from caleb williams i miss jeremiah hall man and i remember Gosh, this that. team could really have used jeremiah hall this year <laughs> yeah I remember being down on the field for that and shooting that, and then at halftime I went upstairs and shot the game from upstairs at the second half and just thinking, like, this is just – it's about time. Like, finally, this guy – and I remember hearing, you know, we talked about how we heard stuff in the, the preseason camp about how wasn't – you know, Caleb was probably better than Rattler in preseason, but Rattler had kind of the every you know, all the, the experience, so they're not going to bench the guy. And it's like, oh, this is great. So I'm not saying that uh, Jackson Arnold's Caleb Williams <laughs> – He's certainly not as highly touted as that, but uh, the last time is you know if if Jackson does start, gets his first career start, uh, happened at home against the same team, obviously different coaching staff now, and uh, we'll see we'll see if Jackson can uh, you know it's it's also it, probably a better defense even though that was what that was um, the last year of um, oh yeah that's that was Patterson's last year he yeah. got fired because their defense was, was terrible yeah so yeah not a good defense so no yeah it was a bad. Like, that was why their run to the national title last year was so crazy because it was just 
it was just it just they brought everybody back from what was a pretty bad team the year before and but yeah no let's hope that uh Jackson Arnold can also have one of the most casually awesome touchdown runs of all time from a quarterback he's capable of doing it all right let's go to the big 12 and just talk about we talk, I know we talked about big 12 at the start of the show let's just get the rest out there we're gonna We'll, t- we'll save Texas Tech and Texas for the picks. Uh, tough slate, by the way, for our pick segment. Uh, t- kind of tough to find games that are interesting this week. But, yeah, I was able to narrow it down to, to five. We'll see. But, uh, I mean, some games that whatever don't really matter. UCF is hosting Houston. Whatever. I mean, Houston's two-touchdown favorite. So, yeah, two teams very familiar with each other. That's a- <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, that's – and UCF going for bowl eligibility there. So, I, I think that's probably – and I guess I don't know. I mean, if you're still kind of really watching like a hawk, OU's ability to get into a, a, a you know, a, I almost said a January 6th bowl. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And I, I know I know I'm not the first person who's ever done that, but I maybe I was just it was it was in the back of my head. But a, a New Year's six bowl. Um, I maybe UCF being another bowl eligible team that OU beat. Maybe that helps them like a little bit. I don't know. I, I doubt it. But I guess that's something to watch. Real quick, speaking of bowl eligibility, uh, guess who's bowl eligible, Grant? <laughs> oh, Arkansas State? The Red Wolves, baby. Arkansas State's going to a bowl game. They, and there's, they could win a seventh game. They're 6-5 and five right now. They got uh, they're at Marshall. I'm not sure if Marshall's any good this year, but... Uh, yeah, how about that? I mean, that's, there's, there's, there's one, I mean the, the worst team that Oklahoma played all year is going to end up being Tulsa. I mean, Tulsa's bad. Uh, but, I mean, SMU's one of the better teams in G5. Uh, Arkansas State's going to a bowl game. Uh, UCF should go to a bowl game, should beat Houston. So SMU is, the, is, is kind of the big one to look for to see if OU could maybe backdoor into a New Year's Six game. Um, if SMU wins the, the AAC, which they, they're already in the championship game, you would think that they would be ranked in that final thing, and that would give OU their second-ranked win which would pull them even with Missouri, Penn State, and Ole Miss for top 25 wins, and OU would have the best win of all of those four teams. Something to watch out for. I know right now, as we stand, the Big 12 has eight teams currently eligible for bowls. UCF would be nine, and they're in a good spot. They're certainly favored to win. Technically, Oklahoma – or Oklahoma. The Big 12 could get – they could get 11 of the 14, but that would require upsets of Oklahoma by TCU – and an upset of Oklahoma State by BYU. So, uh, but get, if Big Twelve gets nine teams in bowl games, and you know that's that's good. And and I just I know it's not the best way to measure success, but I feel like the Big Twelve in, in the last handful of years have, have done pretty well in bowl games, if memory serves. So you know I'm gonna good I'm gonna coaching staffs. Good coaching staffs. That's the that's that's always been the quote unquote best part of the Big Twelve is that I. I I do think, especially in the 2010s, a lot of the innovation in college football came directly from the Big 12. A couple other games that don't matter that much. West Virginia is at Baylor. Mountaineers are eight-and-a-half-point road favorites. Kansas finishes up at Cincinnati. Jayhawks uh, are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Bearcats just, uh, let's see, what, what are they? like? Cincinnati's three-and-eight. Like, goodness, I mean, they, oh, you beat them by two touchdowns and – Low scoring affair, couldn't. I mean, I guess that was a sign of things to come about how they play on the road this year. Ugh, not but good. also, I kind of feel like 
yeah, Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not a good football team, but they also haven't reached like the horrifying lows that like Baylor has. No, right? like no. Cincinnati hasn't been run off the field like some other teams in the conference have been this year. By the way, Kansas trying to get to eight and four. You know, Kansas with an eight win team, they they go eight and four, and if they win a bowl game, I mean, nine win. That's Lance Leipold doing doing some great great work. So uh, obviously Texas Tech, Texas, we'll talk about there in a minute. Okay, UCF and, and Houston. Or I'm sorry. You already did that one. OSU and BYU. We already briefly talked about this. You're, I know you don't like Oklahoma State. You're the two. Your two most hated teams in the Big Twelve this year, I think, are Oklahoma State and Kansas. The two teams Oklahoma lost to. Oh, coincidence. Okay. Well, no. I mean, no. My, I, my most hate. You always. My most hated team will always be the same team. So like, don't. But also, yeah, I know what you're talking. Yeah, I'm. I'm frustrated. Those are not very good teams. Oh, you had no business losing those games. Those were. Those are bad losses. Period. Let's see. OU was favored by 24 and a half at BYU, which means that if it was in Norman, it would have been probably like 28, 28 and a half. So basically they're saying that they think, I mean, Oklahoma, right? <laughs> Oklahoma right now is, uh, odds makers still think they're about, <laughs> they're about 10 points better than OSU. They are. They are. They, <laughs> they absolutely are. With Oklahoma and, State favored by 17 at home against BYU. And I think if, I think if OU plays up to their potential like they did against West Virginia, they, they're, they're three. They're three touchdowns better than Oklahoma State. Well, yeah, I mean Oklahoma State. They're, mainly because Oklahoma State's defense, and they can't play. But they, I guess they played from behind last week and they came back and won. So I, I'd say that in that particular game, uh, again, I talked about it before. Oklahoma State. I, I'd be very surprised if they lost, just because it, it's more on BYU. BYU. It's a bad spot. I guess BYU can still technically make a bowl game, so they're playing for bowl eligibility. But again, they knew they were going to be coming into this game as a huge underdog. And so last week was their big bowl game, essentially, senior day. It's just, it's a letdown spot for BYU. And they've been so bad on the road. And Oklahoma State, as bad as that defense is, I don't know, man. Like, I guess it's not Lincoln Riley anymore coaching OU. So I can't use that excuse anymore. But it would always feel like, you know, like 2021. Yeah, 2021 is the best example because Lincoln Riley, OU, they almost lost to Kansas in Lawrence. That was the game, the crazy Caleb Williams game. That same exact year in 2021, Oklahoma State beat Kansas like by 50. They just showed up, just rolled out of bed and beat the crap out of them. And so point being, it always kind of seems like those bad teams of Oklahoma struggles, like Oklahoma State seemingly with Mike Gundy doesn't have trouble with them. They have trouble with Kansas State. Uh, yeah, I don't Kansas, know, man. I they, guess uh... this year. They lost to South Alabama by 26 and to UCF by 42. Well, UCF was on the road. I'm talking about like at home. And South Alabama, again, I don't know what Mike Gundy – Mike Gundy pre- pretended it was preseason for the first three games. Like, the games didn't count. I, I don't I, – I don't like because I really do think – Mike Gundy's like, I know we're not going to the playoff. All I care about are conference games. <laughs> he played different quarterbacks for three ga- – anyways, bizarre. So – I I just I'd be very surprised if Oklahoma State lost that football game, and I wouldn't even want to grab the points because I just think BYU is so bad and it's a classic letdown spot. The the one thing though is they can still make a bowl game, so technically they're going to be potentially up for it. We'll see. Just keep going back to you know, Ollie Gordon might be very limited, and I just they're Oklahoma State offensively. It's like obviously it's not the easiest thing to stop, but they just they don't do anything special. You know what they're going to run? Yeah, like you can you can come up with a pretty specialized game plan to to slow them down. I, I just, I, yeah, and, and like obviously, like I'm, I'm in my feels about it because, oh, you lost that game and it's the last, but I just, I am, I'm so, 
so adamant that that is not a particularly good team. Watched a lot of college football. That is not one of Oklahoma State's better teams of the last 15 years. It's not at all. It's not even close. Yeah, just like, they're playing good football at times. So, all right, there's that one. And then I almost put this one in the pick section because I guess it does matter because you brought up the tiebreaker scenarios earlier with Kansas State and Iowa State. So, K-State's at home against Iowa State. And this is a – as much as I've ripped on Iowa State this year, I was shocked to see this number. This number is telling you take, take the Wildcats. K-State by 10? I know it's at home, but – as much as I mean, Iowa State was what a home home seven and a half dog to Texas, which means in theory, if it was in Austin, they'd have been 10, 11 point dog about the same. I mean, I know Kansas State and Texas again, analytics are actually pretty close. So suppose it makes sense. But uh, I, this is a weird number to me. And I guess you know, Oklahoma would like to see what, I, what Iowa State win. That would help the Sooners. Is that right? I just think this number is telling you that K-State's probably going to win this football game. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I lean heavily to K-State here. Um, K-State, I, their, their biggest weakness of their team, they don't stop the run very well. And Iowa State still really struggles to run the ball. That was, I mean, that was, that's why they got beat by Texas last week. I can't remember, as, I mean, because every single year we get into the season and things happen, and I feel like certain teams have certain histories against these other teams. And that was it... Last year, two years ago, I feel like when these two teams played, it was just an absolute blowout. Okay, and but I think it was like Iowa State that just waxed the floor with K State. So, now nah, that's gonna bother me. Was that last year or two years ago? Uh, I don't know, but this is it's an interesting spot too. So, all of like the implications of this game are gonna be known on Friday because Texas plays Texas Tech on Friday, and if Texas wins that game, then um, that that renders this. Farmageddon meaningless from a standings perspective. <laughs> Farmageddon. Uh, it was a COVID year. COVID year and... Uh, which we've established that just straight up doesn't really count or matter. Which was the year that, yeah, that, that uh, Iowa State, they smoked K-State and they played Oklahoma a rematch with OU and then lost in the Big 12 title game. So, I also feel like yep, it's, it, it's pretty easy just to totally dismiss that season because... OU was playing good defense under Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch that year. <laughs> so it's just, there's, it's, I mean, it's clear. Like, that's the one outlier in their careers. There it is. And still, that, I mean, one of my favorite stats, I mean, it's favorite now because Riley's gone. Uh, wasn't my favorite before is, I mean, the guy's been head, head, uh, head coach since 2017. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. 20, this is what, this is his seventh year as head coach. And, he still only has one bowl victory, <laughs> and it was, it was the COVID year. And it was yeah, it was in a in a game that was just an absolute farce for the game of college football. And and honestly, that's like that's one of those like that game is one of the reasons why I maybe believe in karma because yeah, the way that Dan Mullen paraded around before that game, and we, he he absolutely deserved to not have a job anymore after that. Like it was is embarrassed. Like I anyway. Um, <laughs> So I, I just can I just kind of soapbox real quick because like this this has made me I'm thinking of the 2020 season it's stupid or whatever but like I'm just remember like the when they when you know they lost two of their first three games that year to K State and, and Iowa State and then didn't lose again and I just it's so easy to look back on it now and like I know they were kind of banged up and they had like a lot of weird stuff with COVID but they were literally just like a a stupid NCAA Ramondre Stevenson ruling 
away from going undefeated that year and being the number two seed in the college football playoff. Um, and I'm just like, and they would have played like Notre Dame in the first round of the playoff. That's just so unfortunate. Yeah, my counter to that is I've just I've gone all in, and that that season doesn't doesn't matter. It's a dumb season because that Bama team, Mac Jones, clearly not that good of a quarterback. They would have got like, they would have gotten smoked by Bama. Like I mean, there's no so I mean I don't even I mean sure Bama I'm sure they're happy about it, but if that was the one title Oklahoma wins since you know whatever, but eighty five or no eighty five two thousand, and it was a like, yeah, it kind of feel weird. Like, yeah, no, nothing like that doesn't count. It's a fake season. I mean, it still would have been fake year. still would have been cool to get there. I mean, that was I know, a, I know. They would have been like, ultimate fake year though if if that was like a link. Lincoln Riley's with <laughs> a title in a fake season. They were, I mean, at the end of that season when they had Ramondre going, they they were legitimately very very good. I mean, it was because I mean they had they had the best offensive player on the field at all times, and they had a bunch of what we now know are they had a bunch of NFL dudes on that defense, like a lot. Like seven or eight of their starters are NFL guys right now. My gosh, I'm looking back at that schedule. That's that's right. the The West Virginia game got canceled. Didn't even play it. Oh my gosh! Prevented a ten win season. I'm still pissed about that. It's stupid. And everything got pushed back. Look, that's right. Like the the Big Twelve title game wasn't until December 19th. Yeah, no. Everyone forget they. They played in the bowl game like ten days yeah, after the good call. There was like there really it was like less time between like bye weeks. If you had a bye week, I do remember that being really nice at the time. Though. Yes, that that was great. Uh, wow. Okay, so let's go to the picks, and uh, yeah, it's got to be the best year I've had on this podcast ever. Uh, another four in one week for me. You were three and two. If only I would stick to my guns in my season long contests I play in. Uh, made a couple switches last week and I lost. So I think the one, the one game I lost on the podcast was uh, Georgia, Georgia, Tennessee, that Georgia just rolled them. Other than that, I mean, handicap worked with everything else. I think the, let's see, what did you lose? You lost, you lost, no, you're on Georgia. You lost uh, the Washington game, whoever they played, what Washington state, no, Oregon, Oregon state. state, but that was a, I, I feel like that was a good handicap. It was a really close game. It was a close game. And then, uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, Miami. You had Miami, I had Louisville. And that was another, that was another really competitive game. Where that was a coin was flip like, game. It was like six lead changes in that game. Just don't, uh, I only back Mario Cristobal, apparently, if they're playing against Florida State, which they were the previous week and they actually covered. Like, it, okay, yeah. can, I, can I go again? Like, and one of these things, like, and I know like, one of the themes of this week, kind of listening to the, the rest of the cinematic universe, has been like everyone's kind of gone back to that cliche of, you know, if you would have told told OU fans that going into this final game that they were nine and two for a chance to be ten and like everyone would have taken it and everything and and like yeah sure if you want to frame it that way I, you're probably right, but also a season happened happened in between all of that stuff we saw the context of how the season played out and one of the reasons why I'm still a little bitter a little disappointed by the nine and two after the seven and zero start. Is because look at a team like Louisville this year. They got they got they got a gift from the scheduling gods. Now their their schedule has been easier than OU's this year because they don't have a Texas on the schedule. But like other than that, they they've played a pretty really really soft schedule. And you know what Louisville has done? They've taken care of business and they've beaten all of the teams that they're supposed to beat. And I don't understand 
why that is not replicable for Brent Venables and his staff. And and you can you can look at last year too. Like I, because if you, if you look at the analytics and stuff, especially at SP plus, like where they are right now, it's flat. They're at the same spot right now as they were last year. The only difference is they've just turned some of those really bad losses into wins. That's that's the difference. And and hey, fair. it's the same for Texas. Texas is at the exact same spot analytically as they were last year. They've just turned some of those. They've just turned like three of those losses into wins. And so that's just really frustrating because I know Louisville's really probably not that good, but yet they've still been able to, to put together this season and they're, you know, they're going to play this week and probably going to win. And they're going to be 11 and one and they're going to, you know, and they're going to get rewarded. They're going to, they're going to play a Florida state team with their backup quarterback in the ACC title game. And uh, it's just, if Louisville is doing that, and we said the same thing last year with like TCU and like Sonny Dykes coming in and just and having like all that magic right away. What's what's that secret sauce? Why can't that be replicated? No, it's a good point. I think it's fair. Jeff Brom is his first year. Louisville was eight and five last season. So, you know, obviously Lincoln Riley and the Sooners were eleven and two before Brent Venables comes in. And and again, I I'm still because I, I recently heard somebody say this. And I don't know if it's anybody that's in the media or what. But the, this narrative about how Lincoln Riley gutted. OU's program when he left is is not true. He took Caleb Williams and a couple of defensive guys. <laughs> like, Caleb Williams, uh, Mario Williams, who is oh yeah, Mar- sorry, Mario is, too. was on is on a milk carton this year. He didn't really play at all. And then he took Latrell McCutcheon, who's not even in LA anymore. He's he's playing somewhere. He's playing like a G five Texas school somewhere. And and a you know a couple like uh, Malachi Nell like like I'm sorry, uh, like thir- Relique thir- Brown, Relique Brown, who is also on a milk carton. This oh my year. gosh, I forgot he's on the team. Yeah, and, and I, I'm sorry, like, recruits decommitting from OU and going to USC, because that's not him taking play. Like, that's just, they haven't, they're not on the team yet. So no, what, what Lincoln Riley did to Oklahoma was over the course of numerous years and him and him screwing up the roster management. That's that's how he screwed up. But that wasn't, it wasn't because he left. Like, that's that's where the narrative comes from, is that Lincoln is not, Lincoln's not dumb. He's not a dumb guy. Like, it's, that's where the narrative comes from of, he knew that he screwed everything up and he was tucking tail and running. But the reason I bring it up, though, is, again, like, Oklahoma had a lot to work with, and not to mention they got Dylan Gabriel from the portal and Jeff Levy, and Dylan Gabriel's a nice player, and he came and played with an offensive coordinator he knew very well, and so the offense was pretty good. And so the cupboard was not bare for Oklahoma. They still and, had, uh, they had Marvin Mims, Anton Harrison, Eric Gray, and Braden Willis last year. And Brent Venables and that team won six games. Jeff Brom took a team that won eight games the year before. I, and I don't even know what, what Louisville, like how much they lost. But I, I don't know. But his first year he comes in and they've already won 10 football games. They're already 10 and one. And to your point, I mean, yeah, they've, the toughest game they played, they played Notre Dame, but they got them at home and they, they beat Notre Dame pretty good. I mean, I remember watching that game, and it was it was pretty. I mean, it was two touchdowns, but I think the score might have been closer than the actual game. I mean, yeah, Notre Dame is is pretty. They're pretty. I mean, they're they're Notre Dame's good. Like, I don't want to, but they're they're eight, they're eight and three. But yeah, I mean, it's they're they're a nice they're a nice team. But, but yeah, Notre Dame is very like kind of OU light right now. That's like they they play at a really high level every now and then, and then they have some glitches that are weird. They got Duke at home as well without Duke's potential NFL quarterback. 
And then they just played, you know, at Miami, a tight game where it was a coin flip game. And Miami's not particularly that great. And so, like, those are their toughest games of the season. And they figure out a way to win. And so I think you make a, a really fair totally, fair, totally fair point about it. And as much as you want to be disappointed with, like, why couldn't OU do that? And this is an opinion of somebody who I'm now in my mid-30s and I'm not 19 anymore. But I've said it before, and, and I, I believe this a lot more now than I would have, again, 20 years ago, which is crazy to say, or 15 years ago, is that, yes, even if Oklahoma would have been able to find ways to beat Kansas and Oklahoma State, like we've learned, especially against BYU, that it's a team that's not there yet. And so, honestly, I don't want to see them go and maybe get, get boat raced in a playoff game again. I, so, like, because that's what's going to happen. I mean, you make the argument, oh, you know, they get there and they have a chance. That's great and all, but I've seen that enough. I, we were told what they are, and they, they, they lost a couple games. And so if they go 10-2 and two in the regular season, that's, that's great and all. Uh, but also, it's, I think it's kind of a testament to where you think about where everyone was in the preseason. You know, you and I, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of podcasts in the offseason. We kind of came back, and we were very skeptical of this year just based on last year. And it seemed like we were kind of on an island in a lot of ways. And now, I mean, Oklahoma loses against CCU, which is definitely possible. They finish under their season win total, and – it's still a successful season because they last really won six games, but to the odds makers, it's technically – I mean, they, they didn't meet their uh, expectations. I don't know, man. I think if they lose on Friday, this is not a successful season. I, I, I think based I don't, off of last year – I guess, yeah, based off last year, that's fine. I just, but I'm, last year is bad. I don't – I. One, and and you're, I mean, you bring up a thing about the playoff, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want them playing Georgia or Ohio State right now. I don't want it. But also, like, I – them beating Texas means something. Texas is really good. Texas would go toe to toe with those teams. Oh yeah, they definitely would. Of so would. I don't. Um, so how do you get up and you beat a team like that? But then you, exactly yeah. that's that's where it's frustrating. So I but like my number one focus coming into this year is I really wanted to win the Big Twelve. I really wanted to win the Big Twelve, and as the season progressed, as they got through Dallas, as they started seven and zero, not only was that like was that not a pipe dream. It was imminently realistic, and it still should have happened. Like I'm, I, yeah. The 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 loss in Lawrence is is so bad. It's so awful. I, I like. I just. I think the Bedlam loss is worse. I, they're both bad. They're both bad. I think the Bedlam loss is worse. This is like I just again. That, what a weird game. And I thought both teams played poorly. I thought well, I thought Oklahoma State played better overall than Kansas did, even though Oklahoma got off the field seven straight times against them. I think both OU and Kansas played really bad that day, and, and Oklahoma came out you know, worse for the wear. Kansas was trying to give them the game, and they did. I mean, they, Oklahoma needed to get a, pick up a first down or two, and the game's over at the end after Ethan Downs' terrific play. That's where it was. That's where it was. It's like, yeah, they, they run it three straight times against Kansas, and like you're just leaving Gavin Sawchuk on the, on, the, on the sideline when he won you the game seven days ago in the fourth quarter in like, almost that exact situation. Didn't, I don't think he got a snap since after he scored a touchdown. After he scored one of those, t- anyways, that's where it's yeah. It's just uh, it's there's a lot. Like I I'm 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 able to to acknowledge the progress that's been made from last season, and and I and I know there's a, there's there's sort of an industry out there that'll say you know I'm being unrealistic and everything, and I'm I just really don't think I am. And I last year even with the guys they had on their team. It was unacceptable that they went six and seven. Completely unacceptable. Like, you don't... They had Anton Harrison and Eric Gray and Marvin Mims. 
and they went six and seven. Bad. That's bad. And it was on. It was the defense. That I mean, the offense was also inconsistent at times, but the defense was awful. <laughs> I mean, it, even though it was in a lot of ways better than before, raw stats, raw numbers. The defense was bad last year. I mean, they're the defense this year is you know very much improved, but. We're going to look at the numbers at the end of the season. Granted, if they play lights out against TCU and then they play lights out in the bowl game, it'll improve those stats. But like right now, Oklahoma is a middle of the pack, slightly below average statistical defense. They haven't had they haven't had any of the games this year like they did last year, like total like blow up, like they like given up like 550 yards. Like right. they haven't had any games like that this year. Yeah. Yeah. No, and they've, they've improved. I mean, they've improved by almost like 100 yards on average. And it's like 80. And that was one of our preseason questions was, you know, can can Oklahoma improve, I think, by like 40 yards, which was what Clemson improved upon from Venables' first year to his next year. And they're going to, I mean, unless there's a disaster against TCU and a disaster in the bowl game, they're going to well exceed that metric. Uh, or maybe it's either 40 yards or like 40. Yeah, like last year, Oklahoma finished like in the 100, like 120th in total defense last year in the nation. I mean, that's and Alex Grinch was nowhere to be found. So and yeah, I mean, and I think in terms of the defense, I mean, some of the big improvements. I, I mean, the defensive line is better. I, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing, and I've said it, is is the linebacker play. Um, I, I mean, how much do you want to talk about? I it doesn't. Really, I know you don't really care about the stuff, but Stutzman being kind of snubbed on the Butkus stuff, which is um, I, which is odd to me. Danny Stutzman is I, I like I I haven't watched a lot of Edrin Cooper this year, but I'm sorry, it's. It's hard for me to believe that Danny Stutzman hasn't been the best at his position this season in the country. Uh, he's been, that's, that has been the biggest jump on the defense. Danny Stutzman has, except last week, he was bad last week, and we found out he had food poisoning. But um, Danny Stutzman has provided elite linebacker play in the middle for Oklahoma for the first time in over a decade. That, that has been the biggest jump on their defense. Yeah, I don't really care much about individual awards, but I will say, I mean, if you're Danny Stutzman or if you're, you know, one of his coaches or his family members, yeah, I mean, I did see, I think, some people like whether Eric, Eric Bailey or George or somebody tweeting about like, you know, semifinalists, and then you're comparing stats and like, yeah, you can't. It's always, not always apples to apples stats with defensive players. You got to use eyeball tests, but I think I saw something where there's guys on the list that are semifinalists that. Like Stutzman has more tackles than like three or four of them, and has like more sacks than three or four of them. And he's got and you like, think, he's got more right. TFLs than three or four oh, of them. So you think okay, well, if it was just like one guy, you think okay, but when it's almost half the, the players, and he's not on that list, that and how how good, he, especially considering he was so good against Texas, and everyone watched that game, and it it does make it think, kind of think like, oh, are we still back? And you know, Oklahoma kind of getting docked for not being a good defensive team over the last decade. I, maybe, maybe, but uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I I would hope that he would get at least some consideration uh, for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. I, I think Tavondre Sweat is probably almost certainly going to win that, uh, which would be deserved, I think. Tavondre Sweat's been the best defensive lineman in college football this year, and that generally means that you're probably the best player in your conference. Here's my hot take. Man. I just don't understand how, how anybody can have solid thoughts on interior defensive linemen i i just don't they never stand out to me i don't like linebackers run around i i, I get that aaron donald's great and he'll, he'll make like a splash play every once or twice but overall man i just don't know how much impact they really have and maybe this is just my bias because i saw khalil mack play for the bears for three or four seasons and he didn't really do anything 
Like he didn't really have much of an effect on the game at all. So, and granted, he and his first or second year, he was still kind of in his prime. Now he's not. So I'm always kind of just very skeptical. It really, and you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm biased against defense, and I play defense, but I'm biased against defensive guys. I it's like I'm sorry, man. Like I just don't know how much impact you have on the game. So give it to Danny Stutzman over the interior defensive lineman for Texas. I guess I well, I mean, when I when the ball is snapped, I'm I'm always watching the trenches. That's where my eyes are. And so it's just I I'm always watching the secondary. It's just I interior defensive line is just so obscenely important in college. And yeah, Tavandre Sweat is, is is one of the better at that position I've seen in the Big Twelve in, in a while, to be honest with you. And I thought that last year too. And uh which is stupid. He was like a three star big fat dude that Texas just whipped into shape and he decided that he was gonna be great and then it just happened. Is Good Texas for him. Gonna finally start developing players and getting guys drafted for the first time in over a decade. We'll see, but yeah. no, I mean, I think the in terms of the Big Twelve, I, I, I think OU and Texas have kind of a, they have a monopoly on who the best defensive players in the conference have been this year. I think the four best defensive players this year have been Tavondre Sweat, Danny Stutzman, Jade Barron at Texas, and Billy Bowman. Been the four best defensive players in the conference. Wasn't uh, T, your boy TJ Tampa going to get some credit? for that too i like tampa i, I like tampa i just i i didn't i didn't necessarily think of him right then when i was when i was reeling those off but he had kind of he gave us some stuff against texas last week but yeah tampa's really good what a loser <laughs> maybe we got into our pick segment and i think we just talked for like 15 minutes and even talk about picks so how about this it's a short week podcast and you and i we're pretty sure this is going to be a short one and this is going to be one of our longest probably preview podcasts so that's that's how it is hopefully everyone gets a chance to listen to it so let's do picks real quick. Uh, again, I was four and one. You were three and two last week for the season. I'm hitting sixty nine percent. It's precisely where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And you're at fifty one percent. So about a coin flip. Not losing anybody any money. Even though technically with you, Grant, if everyone made your made your bets, even at fifty one percent with the vig, people would probably be down about three or four units or more. Because the VIG gets you. All right, let's go to our picks. we got five games, and the first one is like the least consequential of all of them, but I put this in there mainly because of the number. Because <laughs> this is a line where it's like, it's very similar to last week when we had Clemson versus North Carolina. we got number 17 Iowa, and also I hate Iowa. Number 17 Iowa at Nebraska, and Nebraska as at home is a two-and-a-half point home favorite over Iowa, which makes you kind of go, hmm? What's going on there? And also tells you to take Nebraska. So that line saying take Nebraska, I will take Nebraska mostly out of spite because I was actually on Iowa last week and they were laying three, had to rally to win by two. That team, man, as much as I rip on Penn State, Iowa deserves even more disdain. Like Penn State's schedule, Michigan's schedule is terrible. You mentioned, oh, you mentioned the, the divisions earlier in the show, about three hours ago, it seems like now, about how divisions work. The, the Big Ten, I guess, they're smart because they put Ohio State and Michigan together because it kind of, in a way, almost guarantees that they're going to get a playoff team because one of those teams will come out of there because they're going to play the other division winner, which is just an absolute clown show joke on the other end. It's going to be Iowa this year. I mean, that's where the that's where like a lot of my idea comes from. Of why can't you just switch up divisions? It doesn't make any sense why you can't. Like I, I mean, geez, during the COVID year, we all heard about like, oh, you can't schedule and put on games <laughs> within five days. Shut up! Yes, you can. Shut up! Yes, you can. And also, yeah, it's a it's 
it's a joke that the Big Ten for over a decade now has had Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State in the same division. That's stupid. Oh, sorry, yeah, why, Penn State too. Yeah. Why do you do that? It's really dumb. You only announce the schedules one year in advance. Switch them up every two years. Do the home and away, and then switch it up. You know, like, I, I know that there's always surprise teams in college football that kind of sneak up on you and are good when you don't expect them to be good. That is not the case for a majority of teams. You know who is good from year to year a vast majority of the time. Do it so that it's competitive. But also, be smart about it. Ohio State and Michigan should always be in the same division. It would be really, really stupid, and this is common sense. It would be really dumb if they played the very last week of the season and had to play again the next week. That would be obscenely stupid, which is why you keep them in the same division. It's like we we have these talks, and we do these things, and we do them for a reason decades ago, and then we always have to have the exact same conversation. People have to relearn logic and wisdom. Why? Real quick, the Big Ten West. I, I was in the Big Ten championship game. Somehow they're ranked number 17 because they're 9-2, and two, but they're 9-2 and two because the other teams in their division, Northwestern, Wisconsin, who, Grant, you nailed Wisconsin this year. They're, they're not good. Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Purdue. Those are all teams in the Big Ten West. And as much – and I, I'm, I'm probably the only person – that listens to, this, listens to this show that cares, but I just Iowa schedule guys, Utah State at Iowa State, who they beat uh, uh, every year except for last year apparently. And the one time I was on Iowa, then they actually uh, lose. Western Michigan at Penn State gets shut out thirty-one nothing. Thir- that awesome Iowa defense gave up thirty-one to Penn State, which averages like five point one yards per play. I think this year, just terrible. Then Michigan State, awful team. Purdue, awful team. Wisconsin, middle-of-the-road team. Minnesota, middle-of-the-road somehow, but kind of an awful team. Northwestern, better than we thought, but still not a good team. Rutgers, actually not a terrible team. And they sh- that's probably Iowa's best win this year. Not a terrible team. They have a good record, but they're also still probably a bad team. That, that's honestly, that's, that's their best win. Or, or No, Iowa State. Iowa, at Iowa State's their best win. Or Rutgers. And then last week they beat Illinois. They rallied to beat Illinois 15-13. to 13. Just an absolute joke of a schedule. All right. That being said, uh, like I said, I'm taking Nebraska. Minus two and a half because the, the number's telling me to. Uh, so go uh, if you're going to be in a, a legal betting state. Just probably fade me there just because out of spite, I'm going against Iowa. Uh, well, I will fade you. I'm, I'm going with Iowa in that one. Um, Nebraska, this is their fourth consecutive chance to get to bowl eligible. And they have lost three straight of three straight games to get bowl eligible in heartbreaking fashion. It's this is it's this is Nebraska. This is what they do. They haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> wow, yeah. They at Michigan State by a field goal. Home against Maryland by a field goal. At Wisconsin in overtime last week. That is And they were up by two touchdowns. So you know, yeah, it's like this is you're not I th- I, it's so I feel so bad too because there was like at some, like at one point in time, like Nebraska was five and three, and it was just like, oh wow, they are, like, and you looked at their schedule, it's like, oh, they play Michigan State, they play Maryland at home, it's like, wow, they're gonna win seven games, like they're gonna, it's like, what a great first year for Matt Rule, and then they just the last four weeks, they just Nebraska all over themselves. Yeah. All right, Texas Tech in Texas. Texas is a fourteen point home favorite. Obviously a. Uh, Texas Tech win would help Oklahoma as it's trying to make the Big 12 title game. 
Texas Tech is kind of figuring some things out right now. Uh, they're playing better football. Granted, it's in Austin, but I don't know if how much that matters. Tosh Brooks, very quietly, second in the country in rushing yards. What? Really? Hasn't, haven't been huge like rushing yard totals this year. Uh, Ollie Gordon leads the country in rushing. And I, our, Ollie Gordon and Tosh Brooks are one and two. I'm pretty sure. This is uh, you know, a Texas Tech team who's coming off a, a very tight, tight uh, home win against UCF, which I think, uh, I think it, they were favored by three, so I, I would have been wrong about that because I was on Tech, and so UCF covered. But UCF's playing some decent football. Obviously, it was a tough spot, for, or not a great spot for them because they were coming off that blowout win over Oklahoma State, so kind of a letdown spot on the road. Texas Tech just saw a pretty good offense at UCF. Now they're going to see – Texas in a rivalry game. Uh, obviously, they beat Kansas a couple weeks ago, but Kansas had the three, third string quarterback, and they beat TCU, who's got a pretty good. So, three in a row for Texas Tech. Not out of the realm of possibility that the Red Raiders pull off a shocker. So, I'm going to grab Tech plus the 14 because I think it's a rivalry game. They're playing good football, and I get the full 14 against Texas. I'll take it. I am. Uh I will also be on Texas Tech here. I, th- I think Texas is going to win. Um, but Texas just doesn't... Texas is not very good against the spread this year. They, they let teams hang around. They don't... They've struggled to kind of bury teams as well. So uh, I, I mean, kind they of... Were able to, they were able to find a way to cover last week. Yeah, but it was... That, that, was a, that was a very competitive game the entire time, though. Like, it wasn't... And I was kind of thinking, because, like, I... When I watch Texas, like, I think they're really good, and I think they're... Like, I, I think they do a lot of, like, they do a lot of really good things in winning time to pull things out. I'm sitting here trying to think, like, what is, what's preventing them from exploding? And I was like, and it's, it's Quinn yours. It is yours. They're not, they are not getting elite quarterback play. And, like, that's not to say, like, I think yours is good. Like, I see, I, it's, there, there are times where he gets really hot and he's just really effective. But he's, he's making too many, he doesn't see it very well. I think he's like in all of the rumors about him, you know, definitely coming back next year. It's like, yeah, he's not, he can't, I don't think he processes very well. I can see that. I, I think, I mean, we always rip on Oklahoma for the jet sweeps and going side to side too much. I think Texas goes side to side way too much too, though. Maybe that's just because maybe he's limited. I don't know. Maybe he's not a guy that pushes on the field as well. Maybe the, maybe OU uh, scarred him for the whole rest of the season. This is a, even though he did throw for a bunch of yards in that game, but turned it over. What a couple times? Yeah, he's a, he's a good player, but he is he's not a great college football player. He j- he just isn't. He's he's he leaves way too much stuff on the field. All right, next game in our picks, we go to the Pac-12, number sixteen Oregon State's at number six Oregon, another big old number here, and uh, it's Oregon by fourteen at home. It's a rivalry matchup, and Oregon State coming off that tight close loss to Washington. It expels a ton of energy there at home, loses. Now they got to go on the road and play this rivalry matchup, the Civil War against Oregon. I kind of, this might be a trap, but even though it was a tough game last week, I'll, I'll, I'll take the Beavers here um, because I like Oregon a lot. Granted, though, I've kind of was hearing some rumblings. I haven't studied this much, but has Oregon really been tested since Washington? They play in kind of a light schedule. They have played a light schedule. That is kind of their. Uh, that's what everyone's kind of started to realize. They don't have any top twenty-five wins this year. 
So, I mean, you know, they beat they beat USC when they were in the top 25 and I, I think Oregon's obviously playing really well. They've outs- They weren't they weren't in the top 25 when they beat USC. Oh, they weren't. Oh, that's right. That was like right after they lost to Utah, wasn't it? So they, had they already uh, dropped out. The, the best the best win so far on the resume, which at the time looked really good, was they went to Utah and just stomped Utah, but now Utah's falling kind yeah, of Yeah, Utah's going to go 7 and 5. So, I, you know, we'll see. I yeah, or, Oregon's good. Oregon but, has but or, they're doing what they should do though they're they're stopped they're beating teams pretty badly yes. Oregon has played 11 games this year and they have thoroughly dominated in nine of them and that is you know I mean that's and also I, I think you gotta gotta throw it out there man they were really lucky to win in Lubbock in week two mm-hmm. they were very lucky to win that game and they were lucky to cover that game exactly that's that's like yeah that's what's in the, the forefront of my mind yeah uh but also, yeah, they haven't. They they really have not beaten anybody of consequence. They've beaten they've beaten a couple of good teams, and it, that's that's really all you can say. In a way, maybe the the luck they got against Tech evened itself out a bit against Washington. Uh, Dan Lanning was, I don't know what he was doing in that game, man. He was, I love. We talked about it at the time. I mean, I I like coaches that go for it and are energetic and are aggressive. But man, he. He was like bad at that in that game. It just so like into the first half, you get the ball coming out of the locker room. I think they were down a touchdown, and he goes for it to try to score, kick, just kick the field goal, then take the ball to start the second half and try to get a ten point swing. Kick the field goal, man. They go for it, they don't get it, and there was another situation in the game where he did. I think he ended up going for it on fourth down. It might have been before that, where it's just they left points on the field. And, I mean, could people come away from that game and thinking, like, if that game was at Oregon, then they would have won the game. So, I mean, I guess, I mean, we'll see if they rematch them in Washington. Uh, they got to beat Oregon State, though. And so, uh, did you say who you're on in this one? Uh, I'll be on the Ducks in this one. Oh, so after all that, you're on Oregon because they're rolling people. I'm on Oregon State. All right, now we go to the game. Biggest game of the week. Ohio State, Michigan, loser is out of the playoff race, probably, I guess, unless crazy stuff happens. Unless you talk to uh, you know, Big Ten fanatic homers, they're going to still tell you that they should, both teams should still be potential playoff teams. But given the fact that both of these teams' schedules are familiar, uh, Ohio State's played a better schedule than Michigan. Ohio State's, Ohio State's been challenged this year. They, yeah. they went on the road and played a night game at Notre Dame. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. Anyways, it's Michigan – by three, it's it was three and a half all week. It's gone down to three, and I've uh, I I kind of called my shot last week. I, no matter what this number was going to be, I was going to be on Ohio State. I'm sticking to it. Mainly similar to my feeling, you know, with Iowa. I just I kind of out of spite. Uh, Michigan, I know Ohio State by its standards recently is not as good offensively. But I was telling you before. I mean, yeah, Ohio State's offense has been better in years, but it's still going to be by far the best offense Michigan's seen all season long, which I think will mean something. And I, I don't, yeah, I, don't, I mean, Ohio State has quietly been, uh, to me to me quietly, maybe not nationally, but it's quietly been like pretty darn impressive this year. Uh, and Well, how about, I mean, Jim Knowles has done a, has obviously done a great job. They're, I, I think coming to this game, I think, the, I think they're the number two SP plus defense. Um, I, I think Iowa is still number one. So, um, <laughs> barf. Yeah, so large barf. But uh, Ohio State's a really good team. Um, give me Michigan in this, though. <laughs> I, I, I think 
I that's the one I I'm not like I I dislike Michigan. This is they have turned into. I just like I've always kind of had a thing. I've always disliked Michigan. I I think I think they are by and large. I mean by a large large margin the most overrated program in the history of the sport. It is them and Texas are are the two most overrated programs in the history of the sport. And um, it's weird. Yeah, this year we've gotten a and of course like I, I I judge a lot of teams based on their fan base and everything as you know as as a fan would do. And we've just we've learned during the season Michigan fans are weird and they're very unlikable. I, I just, and I like Ohio State fans. Ohio State fans are classy and have been there before. And, uh, well, you know, I'll, gosh, man. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't give me any, any pleasure, but I, I, Michigan's a really good team. Yeah, I don't have strong thoughts on either one of their fan bases. I couldn't care less. Uh, my, here's my spiel on this one. I don't know if we talked about this all year. It, you know, I keep hearing, because again, I, I like the Chicago Bears, and there's a, High likelihood they're going to have maybe the number one pick again next year. If not, you know, they're going to probably have two top ten picks at this rate. And so you know, a lot of people, you know, it's like, okay, they're going to take another quarterback at this rate. Yes, they'll probably take another quarterback. Who's going to be still up in the air? And a lot of the podcasts and people I read that are Bears are like, oh, yeah, you got to take a quarterback, and then you take Marvin Harrison Jr. Boom. And here's the thing. Marvin Harrison Jr., yes, very good player. Acting like he's some sort, and this is my opinion, it's like he's some sort of like generational, we haven't seen a receiver this good come along in some time, I think is not true. I, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb. I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad you're saying this. I think I, Marvin Harrison Jr. is really good. I think he's really, really good. So I like don't, don't, and I, like, I think he should probably be a top 10 pick. No, I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as people say it is. Like, I, based, on, like I, based off of what I've seen them do in college, like at their highest highs, I thought Jackson Smith and Jigbo was better than Marvin Harrison Jr. Interesting. I I don't I don't remember. I didn't see him play much at Ohio State. I, but I mean I I remember when I I remember watching that Texas LSU game, that great game in 2019, and I hadn't seen LSU play much. And I mean I saw Burrow a lot the year before because you know we talked about Burrow a lot and you hated him and I was like yeah, tell you, he's not as bad. As you, he's, he's actually better than you think. Uh, that was the first time I really remember watching Jamar Chase. And I think, I think this and like Jefferson had a good game too, but I I thought Jamar Chase was awesome. Like this guy is just aw- and turns out like they're both awesome in the NFL. I I think Jefferson has better numbers, but I still think Chase is better. I, I think Chase oh. is a, a better player. Uh, no, I mean I think I think Justin Jefferson is the best player in the world. I, I don't. That's he's just he is the most naturally talented. Just rolls out of bed and makes it look easy. I prefer Jamar Chase, and at the same time though, I also had obviously watched a lot of Ceedee Lamb. And I, from what I've seen of Marvin Harrison Jr., I think C.D. Lamb is a much better prospect than Harrison Jr. I think he's much more explosive than Harrison. Uh, I think Harrison's maybe a little taller, which I like tall guys, but that's not as big of a deal. Uh, the thing with Marvin Harrison Jr., again, they just they target him a lot. They, they get him the ball a lot, so he's able to be showcased a lot. And again, he's a good player. So here's my thing, though. If he is this generational, incredible, like he's the best receiver we've seen come along in forever, this is a game where he, need, he should... He should dominate this Michigan secondary. Then they're going to play a lot of man. Go and beat, go and beat those corners and beat them off the line and get open. And, and if he has a great game and he just, you know, has ten grabs for all, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, then then maybe I'll change. Maybe I'll think, okay, maybe maybe this guy is as good as I. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, he certainly could. Uh, very curious to see what happens because we know what Michigan likes to do. Just like Penn State, they play a lot of man. So he's going to be tasked with beating guys. And I don't know. I don't think he's as fast or explosive as. Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, some of the guys we've seen in the last few years. I just, I don't, when I see him play, I haven't seen that 
as that big of a burst. Like I think back to CeeDee Lamb when he would get out in the open and, and he would just run by guys and like break and Harrison can break tackles and stuff, kind of, but I don't know. I just haven't seen it like I did with those guys, but he's still a great player. I just don't know if he's like Jeff's what was Jefferson like a late first round pick? C D was like number eleven, twelve, you know. It's like, like he's like, yeah, he's thirteen, fourteen, something like that. Like the, and maybe this is a down wide receiver class or something. Maybe that's why. But I just the fact that this guy might be drafted like number one or not number one probably, but like number two or number three, it's like, well, okay. I mean, but also like are important. I, it makes sense. I mean, we're we're at the point where I I very much think it's like it's turned into quarterbacks, defensive ends, and wide receivers in the NFL now. You gotta have good wide receivers. Yeah, you do. I mean, and look so, at the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't have any receivers. And Absolutely. So yeah. it's a, uh, but no, I mean it's an interesting game. Yeah, I know it's a it's a good point. Let's see, let's see what Marvin Harrison Jr. can do against the Michigan defense when you know, gosh, man, the fir- it's the first, this is like the first top thirty offense per SP plus that Michigan has faced this year. That offends like- me. That offends me. <laughs> I know, uh, and I don't know this guy's name because I suck at my job but also Ohio State's tight end I think is pretty good too like that guy's giant and I every time I watch him plays like that guy looks like he's pretty darn good and he's been he's been like hot lately he's he's had a lot of catches the last handful of games so yeah we'll see we'll see if both of those guys and you know I'm, I'm kind of banking on it I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Ohio State plus the points and uh, I might sprinkle a little bit on the money line too I mean it's basically a coin flip game finally We'll go to the Iron Bowl, Auburn and Alabama. Auburn hosting Alabama, but Bama is a 14-point road favorite. And I threw this one in there. Just I mean, it's a huge rivalry game, obviously. And I don't know. I mean, there's there's still people out there saying, you know, like, hey, like, what happens if you know Bama? You know, they're I think they're I think it's Bama Georgia, right? That's already been clinched in the SEC title game. Yeah, you're shaking your head. So it's not going to happen. But people are saying, like, I've heard people like, oh, yo, Bama knocks off Georgia. Boom, there you go. Two SEC teams in the playoff again, and it's like. I just hate that's even a conversation because I just I'm so bored and tired with Alabama. Obviously, I'm bored with Georgia now too. Uh, it just would be so. F- just can we just get ri- get get that talking point out of here and have Auburn just knock them off at home this week? Well, I'm Auburn. I'm I'm on Auburn in this game. I think that's the that seems kind of like the uh, the wise pick from a gambling perspective in this one. Uh, even though Auburn's terrible, but like also you're kind of. They're coming off like a like a, a three score loss to New Mexico. Jerry kills the fight in Jerry kills that in New is Mexico shot. State. That was so ridiculous. I, and so uh, I'm I'm assuming just so much public money is going to be on Alabama because of that. And uh, I'm going to go the opposite direction there. But uh, yeah, no, I mean I share you. I just it's it's hard for me to get out of my head just how how thoroughly Texas controlled that game in Tuscaloosa when they played. Like it was it was not even. A question of who who the better team was when you were watching that game. That's a great point. Yeah, and, and so I and how kind of underwhelming Jaden Milrow was in that game. I mean, it's because it's because Texas has a really good defense, and that's Texas is still by far the best team that Alabama's played this year. I say Jaden Milrow, then Jalen Milrow. It's Jalen Milrow. Yeah. yeah. When I say yeah, okay. You're talking about like the draft and everything. How like when do we? I mean, because I mean, Caleb Williams is obviously. I mean. Caleb Williams for, you know, a Heisman Trophy has had a bad season. I, I mean, I think it's, we can say that now. And um, Drake May has kind of had a pretty rough second half of the season. When, when does, when does Jaden Daniels enter number one overall pick conversation? He's, I, he, he won't. He's about, he's about to run away with the Heisman. He's going to win it easily. There's. What? Yeah. He's, he's tall. He can like, he throw, he can throw, he can run. When, like. Nah, I. 
I mean, isn't Zach Penix the guy that's going to win the Heisman at this point? Isn't he pretty much still no, the I'm, favorite? No, I'm pretty sure Daniels right now is like the overwhelming betting favorite. Like Daniels is going to win like easily. Have you have you seen his numbers? His numbers are absurd. Jaden Daniels himself is like seventh in college football in rushing. I what? I I have not heard anything about Jaden Daniels this like this season really, with the exception of been under a rock, uh, my dude. Well, it's just I guess maybe I just look at it as uh, it's they're wow he he's actually he's the favorite to win the Heisman right now by a lot. Him and then Bo Nix. Oh, this is a, what a terrible year for the Heisman. Yeah, it's not a it's not a great. Yeah, his I mean his his numbers are are great. I they're it's he's he's having a Kyler Murray like season. That's what his numbers are like. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, he's got he's got better rushing numbers than Kyler Murray did. He's absolutely insane. He has run for guys run for a thousand fourteen yards this year already. He's got another game left. Eight point two a carry. Throwing for over 300 yards a game, 36 tutties, four picks. Those numbers are nails. He's 6'4", 210. That's the issue. He's too, he's too, he's too, he's too skinny. That's, that's why. And, I mean, I don't know. Who's the, who's the offensive coordinator in LSU? How are they, what's going on with them? How are they able to score so many points? I, I, I don't know who it is. They got, they got some really good receivers, too, like Malik Neighbors, really good player. Mike Denbrock. I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's May and Caleb Williams. I, I mean, we'll see. I I I gotta watch some more Drake May, but one of those guys will probably be the next Bears quarterback. So. Like, I don't want it. I don't want it to be too reflexive or too. But I I, don't, I mean I'm I am nowhere near as sure on Caleb Williams anymore as I was. Just not. He's been bad this year. I mean, Rel- relative to what we know about Caleb Williams. I mean, you're just so hyperbolic. There's no way he's been bad. He's, he's, he's a- regressed. He hasn't gotten better. Yeah, he, that's, that's, that's probably fair. Yeah, he's 30-5, and five, touchdown interception. Uh, not running, probably because he's taking so many sacks. <laughs> it's like, What's his completion percentage? I kind of feel like he's had some games where he's just been... 68. Oh, I mean, that's good. Okay. How many yards per attempt, though? I mean, that's a huge... Let me see. He's at uh, best best uh, year of his career, yards per attempt, 9.4. 9.1 last year, 9.1 and 21. Okay, wow. Well, I look Just, stupid. Uh, his, his touchdowns are somewhat down. This is actually uh, based on the last year. This is he's having his, his best season. The only thing is down is his rushing. Passing wise, he's uh, actually having the best year of his career, or <laughs> best yeah, best year of his three year career. So it and it's yeah, like I, you think back to the Notre Dame game. I mean, he had some bad picks against Notre Dame, and that was a I guess yeah, like where he was legitimately bad. Like he like in that game, he was like he was like against like Iowa State his his year at OU or against Baylor even. Yeah, he had two of those. Yeah, those two games. I'm trying, where's his rushing stats? Um, there they are. There they are. Yeah, he. I mean. His worst year rushing, it's got to be because he's taken tons of sacks. Uh, only 142 yards rushing this year. He had 382 last year, and he had 442 his first year. And, you know, obviously limited. He doesn't act. like running. 
that's he I don't I just I don't think he likes doing it yeah let's play from the pocket so we'll see uh, by the way, I'm on Auburn, too. I'll take uh, plus 14. Yeah, they were, Auburn was playing some good football, actually, and then they just got spanked by New Mexico State, clearly looking ahead to, to Alabama. Um, Hugh Freeze also kind of has Nick Saban's number, like as, like as much as you possibly can. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'll recap the picks. We're, uh, we're going, wow, we're uh, mostly going against each other today. So Iowa-Nebraska, Grant is on Iowa, plus 2.5. I am on Nebraska, laying 2.5 at home. We're both on Texas Tech, though, catching 14 at Texas. We're split on the Civil War. I'll take Oregon State plus 14 on the road. Grant will grab Oregon at home minus the 14. Ohio State, Michigan, I'll take Ohio State, even though I'd love the three and a half. It's just three. I'll take Ohio State plus three. Grant's on Michigan minus three. Michigan hosting that one, of course. Jim Harbaugh, not on the sideline, as we all know, and we are both on Auburn plus the 14 at home in the Iron Bowl against Alabama. All right, well, final week of the regular season. Uh, just like that, it's there. <laughs> That's the way it always is. Goes, uh, goes really, really fast. Really, really fast. And uh, I don't know. I hope, uh, hope they can get us uh, started on Friday with a nice dub. Get us to 10 wins. Make it feel just like sort of a a normal good season that Oklahoma has with ten wins. That'd be cool. Um, and and then once that happens, maybe we can start kind of crossing our fingers, hoping some chaos happens. I I just um, man, after the start, it's just last season in the Big Twelve. I, I just n- narrative wise to me, if they if they let Texas win the Big Twelve this year, that's that's one hundred percent just on OU. You screwed it up. That's on you. That'll be the thing. I mean, like very disappointing season a, a year ago, going six and seven, all the things we've covered forever. Uh, you make an improvement in year two. Let's say they do win, go to 10 and two in regular season. But then there's always going to be the thing where you lost the last bedlam and then there, you, you potentially let Texas win the Big 12, uh, a series that you've dominated since the beginning in Oklahoma State and a conference that you've dominated since it started and you and you don't go out and, and you, you finish the conference not even going to the championship game the final three years there's certainly some historical stuff that will uh will definitely eat at oklahoma no doubt about yeah, it absolutely it i mean that was my that was that was my narrative coming into this season is that this the big 12 belongs to oklahoma and um as of right now, it's it's looking like probabilities are are saying that they're not going to be able to up, uh, uphold that end of the bargain, which is uh, which is bad as you know for for the reasons that you just mentioned them losing the last bedlam game in like in really frustrating fashion, um, and then also I losing to a Kansas program for the first time in in over a quarter century. Oh yeah. Well, fast forward to about a year and a few weeks from now when. OU's playing in the SEC championship game at Mercedes-Benz Dome and knocking off, uh, I don't know, Texas. And then, SC, you know, none of this will matter. We'll, we won't care. It's going to be pretty freaking wild when OU plays Georgia in the SEC title next year and Georgia's got a 44-game winning streak and OU is trying to end it. You say, I mean, it's... If if Georgia if Georgia wins out and they win the national title next year undefeated they will tie OU's forty seven game win streak and like I'm I'm starting to the point where that feels very realistic. All right, 
Well, everyone, enjoy Thanksgiving. Oh, we didn't even have time. You know, hey, should we make this a three-hour podcast and do our Thanksgiving rant? No. Everyone knows it. Yeah. Listen back to the, the show probably in 2018, maybe, 2018 or 2019. We, talked, we did our, uh, our Thanksgiving food rant. Just pe- uh, people who are, who are cooking tomorrow and you're, while you're listening. Hopefully, you're listening to this while you're cooking. Please, please taste while you season it. Season it as you go and taste it. That's what you got to do. <laughs> Learn how to use salt, please. Everyone, please enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy the long weekend if you are fortunate enough to have one. Uh, hopefully, enjoy Oklahoma. Be nice if Oklahoma gets a nice win on Friday as Grant laid it all out. Uh, enjoy the weekend. This is the, the best time of the year. Be with family. Be with friends. Take it all in. Uh, be extra thankful. We'll be back after OU TCU. Uh, let's see. We'll probably record... We'll see. We might be able to record Friday night, depending on what we're doing. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll get it out to you. It'll be out th- to you by uh, Friday or Saturday for sure. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.